Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. I'm Jay Sticky. And I'm Gray. Gray, nice to have you back again. It's good to be back. Last time you were on, what were we talking about? Uh, I think my last appearance was the Radical Honesty episode back in February? Okay. Can't believe it was that long ago. I know. It feels like an entirely different era. Because we could still not be worried about the plague back then. So it was an entirely different era. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But welcome back. We are going to be talking about something completely different this time. But as usual, we are first going to do our sequence posts. Yay, sequences. (laughs) So let's jump right into that. Uh, as soon as I can pull up the right document. Jeez. Uh, who wants to just start us off on this? I'll go. Uh, absurdity heuristic is the first one. And absurdity bias. So, absurdity uh, heuristic was... They was started out describing that heuristics aren't bad, per se. Um, usually, they're actually pointing you in some direction. Like, okay, like, I've... All of my experiences have led me to believe that this cause uh, will create this cause will create this outcome. So, like very briefly, it's a mental shortcut. Yeah, like, expensive things tend to be better quality. Like, yeah, that, that is one that's obviously exploitable, but it's a general truism to the point where, like, you can glance at things on the shelf and be like, "Oh yeah, this one on the bottom, ten bucks, and then this one on the top, ninety bucks." I'm betting that one's better than the ten dollar one. Yeah, it's kind of um, the thinking fast and slow thing where you're you have your heuristics that do a bunch of mental shortcuts for you, and generally they actually work pretty well. And but sometimes because you do use all these mental shortcuts, they can cause you to have biases. Is just what he meant by the absurdity heuristic versus the absurdity bias. So when people say something is absurd as just a sort of knee-jerk reaction to a new idea or something that sort of pattern matches to things that seem like they might not be probable, but maybe this person's not operating on, they haven't sat there and done the math and been like, oh, actually, no, physics say that this probably could happen or uh, whatever other um examples he brought up yeah then that's a a bias rather than just a heuristic and he was railing against that like probably because of people saying that ai is absurd or Mm. maybe his quantum gravity stuff i don't think he started railing yet he spoke against it i believe the railing will come later oh yeah okay but i don't know Uh, did you did you read it more as railing no, I uh, think I was just exaggerating. <laughs> he, he does seem to be trying to not be exactly evaluative in this first one. He's just saying, yeah, there, there are heuristics. We use them all the time. They're good. And as Kahneman said, and there, there is a fair amount of content overlap between uh, the sequences and Kahneman. Those heuristics are good so much of the time that we don't even notice when they're right. Like we're using them so just... So often they seem like on, common sense on an at least daily, or, or they don't even register as common sense. They're just they're they're down to the level of reflex. Yeah. Uh, That's big, a good way brightly to colored, it. pointy animal, get away. You won't you, you you even though there is a response in your brain from the ancestral environment that gives you those ideas, you will not be aware of them having happened. Mm-hmm. So uh, you, you can, with practice, I guess, identify when those heuristics are operating. But that takes some exercise and mindfulness. Yeah. And for the most part, heuristics are defined by being things that we don't see happening, that we, don't, we aren't aware of executing in our brains. Yeah, there was the example, uh, actually, that you, I think you were maybe 
talking about Kahneman, I think he brought this example up of uh, if you see something that looks like a tiger, uh, obviously there's an evolutionary advantage just running the fuck away regardless if it's a tiger or not. As opposed to being like, okay, so it's a big cat, and it's got, I think it's got stripes. Uh, is it looking at me? I might, I, this might be a marat. Like, no, you're dead. <laughs> so he gives a few examples. Well, he speaks about three major circumstances where what is the absurdity heuristic um, turns into an absurdity bias instead. Where instead of being a good rule of thumb, it's more of a, uh, a problem. And the first one is that he says, the first case is when we have information about underlying laws which should override surface reasoning. The example he gives is, if you know why most objects fall and you can calculate how fast they fall, then your calculation that a helium balloon should rise at such and such a rate ought to override the absurdity of an object falling upwards. So there's cases where, even though something sounds really absurd, if you have really good information about underlying laws, you, you should not think of it as absurd. Yeah, although uh, when hot air balloons first became a thing, I remember people thinking they were like, well, I don't remember, I wasn't there, but <laughs> I, I've read that people were just baffled by them because here's a very large, heavy object, and all you do is you make a balloon, and they didn't have helium, they were just using uh, heated air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the name. Yeah, hot, hot air balloon. But um, it is pretty hilarious thinking about what people's reactions must have looked like to just seeing this gigantic thing just floating. <laughs> uh, this Eliezer's made a point kind of like this. I don't know if it's actually earlier in your read order because most of my sequence reading has been out of the edited rationality from AI to Zombies. But there's another essay where he's talking about how you weigh arguments from authority uh, where if you're actually in a completely unexplored domain of science at the turn of the 20th century, maybe Lord Kelvin saying that this heavier-than-air flight thing isn't possible, should carry some weight. Once Otto Lilienthal has built a, has a measured lift, and once the Wright brothers have built a wind tunnel to measure lift in their own way, you've got experimental data that points in that direction. But when you actually see the plane fly, <laughs> Kelvin's authority isn't something that even factors into your calculation anymore. Uh, I see the, the way that he's suggesting it, like this should override surface reasoning, uh, it seems like a good step from this how to stop making this mistake versus uh, into how to actively not make this mistake. One thing I can think of is the Wright brothers looked at birds quite a bit, like diagramming the wings, and birds are heavier than air and they can fly. So you've already are got they evidence. Are heavier than air, though? Birds are heavier than air. <laughs> they do have hollow bones and light feathers, but no, they, they have weight. Dead ones fall out of the sky. We could do an Archimedes sort of experiment, you know, to figure out the mass of the air displaced by the bird in, the, in a plastic box. I'm trying to think of a rhyme of the ancient mariner joke about the albatross around the neck, but can't make it work anyway. Um, uh, he has a second case, which he doesn't give an example for. says, attending to surface absurdity in the face of abstract information that ought to override it. If people cannot accept that studies show that marginal spending on medicine has zero net effect, uh, that is a bias because uh, it seems absurd. That violates the surface rule that uh, medicine cures things. Um, <laughs> but the abstract spending on medicine has zero effect is not quite the same thing. So their absurdity bias is leading them astray there. Okay, yeah. Sort of like a, I guess, global warming. 
where you can like it's absurd that you could change the temperature of the entire earth by something you're yeah. personally doing or like my dad who's like well the sur- the temperature of the earth is always changing ah. we're not, it, it always goes up and down we're not doing it it's just it's just going up <laughs> trying to say every time you fart the summer comes around come on and like I've actually heard people explicitly make that argument though with respect to climate change like it's arrogant of man to think he could alter the climate yeah yeah <laughs> And, you know, everybody knows that arrogantly, the beliefs held in arrogance are never true. Absolutely. Never once has an arrogant person been right about anything. Certainly not the hero of a certain fan fiction. But. I was hoping someone would mention that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Third case. Uh, when the absurdity heuristic simply doesn't work. The process is not stable in its surface properties over the range of extrapolation. And yet people use it anyway. Like, the future is usually absurd, scare quotes. It's unstable, and its surface rules over 50-year intervals. And, yeah, it gets more into that, and I think, I forget if it's the next post or the third one, but we'll get get into that. Yeah, I I have an example, but it'll make more sense when we get to why is the future so absurd. Okay. He uh, ends with, over the last few centuries, the absurdity heuristic has done worse than maximum entropy. It's ruled out actual outcomes as being far too absurd to be considered. You would have been better off saying, I don't know. And the example he gave was a certain person being accused of fraud for selling stock in the radio telephone company, uh, claiming that he could send human voices across the ocean Hmm. using radio waves. Nonsense. Yes, exactly. And I believe the Lord Kelvin saying that uh, heavier than air things will never fly is another example from previously. And the next one was availability, or the availability heuristic, which uh, is judging the frequency or probability of an event by the ease with which examples of the event come to mind. Uh, So, yeah, kind of self-explanatory there. Yeah, we're all pretty familiar with this one, right? Or at least we talk about it a lot. Uh, Do we? Yeah, the more you hear about things happening, the more it seems uh, like that's a thing to you. Yeah, yeah. Which is why, you know, the the constant harping about the sins of a subgroup that someone hates tends to be extremely bad and toxic because it'll make everyone around you think that those people are evil when, you know, out of 100 million people, you can easily find the bad ones and keep highlighting all their bad stuff. And yeah. it'll twist your priorities on what evils you actually want to fix because you will have a... If, if, if that kind of complaining is going on constantly, you'll have a greatly exaggerated potentially a greatly exaggerated impression of how influential the outgroup you're dunking on actually is. He gave a slightly less political example, too, in saying that people thought that um, accidents accounted for more deaths than diseases, when it turns out that diseases are 16 times more uh, likely to kill anyone than an accident because there's just a lot more of them, but you don't hear about the diseases because they're not, you know, spectacular newsworthy events. Yeah, or bringing absurdity back into it... um... I think it was in the Camden Aquarium. They had a plaque talking about sharks, and they said that, uh, you know, you're supposed to guess how many people die per year of shark attacks, and then there was a little thing that you could pull up, and uh, I forget what the actual numbers were, but it was considerably lower than you would expect, and they compared it to, like, they they, um, said more people are killed by coconuts falling on their head than shark attacks. Mm-hmm. It's shark attacks in the single digits, right? Shark attack deaths? The shark attack death, that, that sounds right. It's certainly not in, into triple digits. 
and just the whole like uh, that's a perfect example of availability because you would like when you're thinking about common causes of death you would <laughs> shark attacks never, naturally you'd never think of coconuts no actually i just thought of this but there is a way that an availability bias can be literally hazardous to your health at least in the short term mm-hmm. um it's known among people who've taught medical school classes as medical student syndrome mm-hmm. where <laughs> all these people who are tired and studying constantly and reading about a bunch of diseases they've never heard of will uh, develop the apparently symptoms of the diseases that they've been reading about and this is so this is so common among this group and so specific to this group that there's really no other good name to give it yeah i think, I think it was the like webmd syndrome too <laughs> i know my mom's doctor has said that there's nothing more dangerous than a patient with an internet connection <laughs> <laughs> that's a good shorthand yeah, I think uh, for some reason I have the number six in my head as shark attacks, although it has to vary more than you know one every year. But then maybe that's a good average. Um, I think the availability heuristic, uh, like I can't remember if it's if it's another Yudkowsky post or somewhere else, but like the cell of uh, earthquake insurance goes up right after an earthquake. Mm. Which yeah, that would... that was in this. Except they're talking about flood insurance. Okay, in yeah. In this post, he might have talked about earthquakes. At another I'm, I'm thinking specifically of earthquakes because it makes like with a flood. I don't really know how often like if one flood influences the next flood, but one earthquake does influence the next earthquake. In which like when the tectonic plates are agitated and settling, and that's what causes the earthquake. It tends to like not happen again for a while. Mm-hmm. So right after an earthquake is when you shouldn't be buying earthquake insurance. It should be like it's been like five years since our last earthquake. I should probably buy some of that nice cheap earthquake insurance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this one with the floods, they had this uh sort of interesting take on it where when dams and levees are built they reduce the frequency of floods and create a false sense of security leading to reduced precautions but like ironically well building dams decreases the frequency of the floods if it floods the damage per flood afterward is so much greater (laughs) the the average average yearly damage increases (laughs) because all that water that's been held back i guess I'm just picturing the scene from Oh Brother Where Art Thou where the dam breaks mm. and then there's just houses floating by <laughs> with people sitting on top of their like roofs of their houses and sort of still talking about the same bullshit. <laughs> the like husband fighting with his wife while like a cow flits by. That was a fun movie. It's such a good movie. Yeah. At the risk of annoying Wes with Evo Psych, uh, Eliezer says that selective reporting is one major source of availability bias. In the ancestral environment, much of what you knew, you experienced yourself, or you heard it directly from a fellow tribe member who had seen it. There's no reason to believe that, Inyash. That's complete (laughs) conjecture. So, if you heard of something, it was likely that it happened recently and to someone in a very small sphere of of your circle. No way. I mean, you you might have read it in a book or watched it in a movie in the ancestral environment. There's no way to prove that you've heard about it from your tribe's people or experienced it yourself. That that first-hand thing is important. Like, (laughs) you're... When... You're talking about a population that lives in tribes of 150 of scattered over a wide area. There's only so far you can get from representative human experience. And you have, as he says, direct access to, even if you're an outlier, you're going to have know a lot of people whose experiences are much more representative. So there's only so far astray that you can be led by this sort of thinking until you've got a 10-digit human population scattered over the entire planet in so many different environments, none of which we evolved for. And in which all of them can communicate with everyone else instantly, so that the most outrageous thing is shots. I should keep this for the Mind Killer podcast because it's kind of mind killy. But, you know, <laughs> it's. 
if you want one less mind killy, XKCD did a comic about how because tweets travel at a large fraction of the speed of light, uh, a few hundred kilometers from the epicenter of an earthquake, uh, the tweets arrive before the actual earthquake does. Oh, nice. That's cool. <clears throat> yeah. Um, that's like... So, like, if you heard something extremely outrageous in the ancestral environment, you probably knew who did it, and you could have some effect on it happening again. Whereas nowadays, if one person out of five billion does something crazy and stupid, you feel the same way when you hear about it. Like, how could this happen? We must do something. <laughs> but no, no, you don't have to do anything. I, I often try not to comment on things if I don't personally you know, know someone who has experienced it. Yeah, um, about ancestral environments, uh, one of our major benefits as a species is that we keep our elderly alive and around because they're able to remember past events. Like, they, they did have the ability to actually see things happen, and that gave them better predictive power. I remember this thing about elephants, too, where they did a natural experiment where... They were studying two different groups of elephants, and in one group of elephants, the the elders had died off of disease or something, and the other, the elders were still alive. And uh, the there there was a series of droughts, and the elephants that had the elders, uh, the elders had remembered where the reserves of water were when droughts had happened to them in the past. But the other elephants were, you know, just like the parents and the kids. They didn't have those experiences, so they were much more likely to die off of uh, thirst. Yeah, I remember reading about that. Yeah, I feel like that might have come up in some rationalist context or something. Cause the odds of that are increasing because I also remember that anecdote. Yeah. Or, or that story. Maybe um, somebody. It, was, it sounds like something that was probably in Slate Strike Codex, actually. He has an example in here, which at the time was not political, uh, but times have changed. So now it is somewhat political, I guess. He says, in real life, you're unlikely to ever meet Bill Gates. But thanks to selective reporting by the media, you may be tempted to compare your life success to his and suffer hedonic penalties accordingly. The objective frequency of Bill Gates is 0.0000000015. But you hear about him much more often. And I, you know. How is that political? I lots of times. Are, are you? If you want to make it joke? political, you uh, could just use Elon Musk instead. Yeah, I was gonna say a lot of people are like, "Why don't we take all the rich people money and redistribute it?" And like that makes sense in a tribe of a few hundred people. When you have one person who's super rich, you're like, "He's being an ass." We're all contributing to this tribe um, functioning. How does he have so much he could share it with us? Whereas in this case, uh, he doesn't is not being an ass, and that money split over three hundred million people is like. $20 or something. It's not a lot of money. Well, and I, I guess my thing is, like, yeah, Elon Musk is maybe... I mean, even he's doing cool shit. I would pick the uh, Koch brothers or some some asshole group. Like, you know, Elon Musk is going to get us to fucking Mars. Bill Gates is going to cure malaria. So, like, I those to, those to me are the like the prime examples of, like, how to be, you know, an ethically rich person. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what awesome project Jeff Bezos is working on. Maybe he's a better example. I, Isn't uh, he working on, like, seasteading or is that someone else? No, that sounds else. cool. Yeah. I think just <clears throat> yesterday saw a uh, meme about Batman where someone pointed out that instead of giving his money to the poor to help them out and reduce crime, he puts on a mask and goes to fight criminals in the streets. And uh, the reply was he has 10 to 11 billion dollars and pointing a source like DC Comics, right? 
And uh, dividing that by the population of Gotham means that he can give everyone in the city $75 a month for one year, <laughs> and then he's flat broke. <laughs> and that's, you know, assuming he sells all his assets. I'm like, yeah, see, that's... It's just not that much money divided up by the... You know what he could do is sell the patent to his self-driving cars and save 33,000 deaths in just America every year. Does he have self-driving cars? He did in the movies. The Batmobile self-driving. He has all kinds of like future tech things that don't really make any sense. (laughs) I, I think Batman is a really terrible example of that, though, because when like that criticism implies that that's the only thing that Bruce Wayne is doing with absurd amounts of money... As if he's not also doing like a lot of stuff that sounds very effective altruisty throughout Gotham. Like his Batman thing is kind of an effort to trim the other tail of the distribution. And can like I'm not sure what the marginal dealt with the the value of the marginal dollar of Bruce Wayne charity actually is, but he's he's spending a lot of them. And And you know, he also needs a hobby to stay sane. And if that is beating up bad guys as long as it lets him give more money to charity, so be it. Just like Tony Stark. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I don't. I, I'm not in favor of any argument about how much good you're required to do that says that once you, when the, at the point where you start making yourself miserable, you're still obligated to do more good. All right. Anyways, getting off of superheroes and villains and such. <sighs> <laughs> on to why is the future so absurd? Lack of Iron Men. And like of Iron Man and Batman. (laughs) When people look at historical changes and think, I could have predicted X, or you could have predicted X if you looked at factors 1, 2, and 3, then they forget that people did not, in fact, predict X, perhaps because they were distracted by factors 4 through 117. I think this is much less relevant nowadays, because we have all recently lived through... Um, nobody thought that Trump could possibly win, and yet he did, and so... Hey, I put a 40% on him. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, I that was my big moment of uh, everything that I know is up in the air, and the world is in chaos, and at, at that point, I really had a, a good sense of the, um, you know, future is absurd kind of thing, where a lot can change because I just didn't see all these factors that... I don't know. For me, it was COVID becoming a problem after swine flu and bird flu and Ebola all didn't really turn into things. Oh, we were so overdue I, for a pandemic, though. I, but like we've, we've had things that should have been pandemics, except that they were handled properly. I just had not updated. I did not realize when the political situation changed how much that would alter the way that diseases were responded to. And I certainly would never have anticipated that denying the existence of the disease (laughs) would become a matter of tribal identity. It's a Chinese hoax. Yeah, that that was weird. Um, We live in weird times. Our intuitions about the future are linear. We expect around as much change as occurred in the past. But technological change feeds on itself and therefore has a positive second derivative. We should expect more technological change in the future than we've seen in the past, and insofar as technology drives cultural change, we should expect more cultural change, too. I do think that that's funny. Um, I'm reading Stranger in a Strange Land currently, and that was written in, I think, the 60s, and uh, telephones were, like, the big deal invention that they thought we were going to have in the future. Hmm. <laughs> like, uh... In the 1960s? It was, uh... They still weren't in every house, then. But it was like a, a type of telephone that I think also had like a video screen or something. So basically like Skype <laughs> was like what 
I don't know. Uh, and there's this one like icon- iconoclastic character who hates phones. Everybody else is like totally like all about phones, but he's just like, ah, oh, I hate the thing. I'm throwing <laughs> out the window. He's like, you know what? Sometimes I don't even answer my phone, and I was just like, yeah, me. <laughs> You've nailed <laughs> but, uh, the future, man. Uh, but this is also a, a story about a man from Mars. Uh, like a human that had been, what was it? Raised by Martians. He was raised by Martians. I forget how he got to Mars. Um, I think, like, there was a group that went up there and they all somehow died of an accident or something, except for him. He was a kid and the Martians took him in. Yeah, and then. It's been a long time. It, yeah. But, like, like, I don't know. I just find it funny that the culture, though, is just. Like, they they didn't really anticipate cultural change that much at all. mm -hmm. And you see that a lot when you see, uh, sci-fi book like read sci-fi books or watch sci-fi movies that were written a while ago where they will often extrapolate flying cars but the culture is still like people are still like wearing hats well because sci-fi is always written taking for, their hats off indoors and yeah sci-fi is always written for the current audience yeah. to help help them think about the future so and we just change a few like, things so bad at designing aliens too like i i get so annoyed at terribly designed aliens in movies but they didn't have much money back then no, it's not even the, like, you don't have to, like, the culture of an alien species can oh, okay. be, be, like, enough to offset the fact that you've got, like, a dude in a suit. I've actually been refreshed on that a bit recently. Uh, my own podcast, We Uncultured Swine, or no, we decided to go back to Uncultured Swine since there was no risk of confusing it with the other Uncultured Swine. But um, it's covering the first of Ian M. Banks's aliens that I really like the design of. There's no analogy whatsoever to human morphology. They're kind of like octoblimps. Um, the culture is... No. Their culture, because if I just said the culture, that would confuse with the series. Uh, their culture is just this continuous fest of testosterone poisoning. Hmm. Like, re- it would be... It would not do toxicity justice to call it toxic masculinity this is like dimethylmercury masculinity it'll dissolve through a latex glove and that <laughs> from the inside uh, but there you can sort of see bare parallels to a human culture but they're alien they're comprehensible but alien enough that you never confuse them with people they're not as eliezer refers to badly designed aliens elsewhere humans in funny suits yeah, yeah. what was that movie with um the big squid aliens that communicated by squirting ink in circles. Arrival. Arrival. Those were good. Like, yeah. some people are getting better at this, and that makes me happy. But, um, yeah, then there, you, for every Arrival, there's still, like, three or four movies where it's just a human with face putty, or it's a big bug. Yeah, Arthur C. Clarke's Rama series had some really cool aliens that the humans dub octospiders, whose main, like... Uh, individual to individual communication uh, involves this bioluminescent patch that can flash different colors kind of like actual cuttlefish <laughs> yeah I mean like if more people just drew inspiration from things that actually exist like mantis shrimp mm-hmm. like there's so many weird things that do actually exist that would freak people out if you made like just a bigger version of that that has spaceships the mantis shrimp has the strongest punch of anything on the planet it has to use its own skeleton as the as the energy storage because muscle can't contract fast enough to deliver that punch. So like it uses muscle to stretch its own exoskeleton and then it sort of hooks it in place and the punch occurs when it releases the hook and the whole plate of exoskeleton springs back to its normal size. It's insane. They are beautiful and they are made of rage. And their eyes. 
They can but see all the colors. They can see all the colors. Yeah. Anyway, um, we're like, like some way hundreds off more uh, kinds of receptors than we have. They're terrible. What, how many more? Like they, I, they can see twelve different wavelengths, okay. and they have six distinct images formed by their eyes. So their depth perception is preposterous. Nice. They need this so they can like find things to punch. Yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> they're, their punch is it, it, it lands. So they're in like very, Goku. <laughs> no, they're more like One Punch Man. <laughs> okay. Their, their punch lands in a really specific area relative to their body every time, so they need an extremely precise sense of their own location. Mm-hmm. I just want to get one as a pet and then like name it Saitama and put a little One Punch Man. But name it Kenshiro. <laughs> But like, also keeping one as a pet means you have to have like bulletproof glass tank. Get a, get a polycarbonate <laughs> aquarium if you can figure that yeah. out. They will effortlessly smash glass. Aren't uh, they the ones that have a little tiny bit of plasma when the uh, thing? Uh, that's well, that, them and pistol shrimp both do that. Pistol shrimp. That's what I was they, thinking. They uh, yeah, the the acceleration is such that they actually create a vacuum in the wake of the or at the at the like wave front. Mm-hmm. Water, the universe gets out of the way, and <laughs> the vacuum, when, as it collapses, actually generates a tiny infrared pulse that you can see with a camera. Nice. With this an is, infrared camera. This is why I don't think, like, mankind was created in God's image, because why, you know, there's, there's cooler shit. Because we can't punch ultraviolet. <laughs> God gave, like, the coolest abilities to, like, shrimp and and octopi and Cuddlefish. I don't know they gave us the ability to take over the world and possibly fix uh, aging so I think that's a pretty good one that, that is a good one but then there's also there some animals that are that fixed aging yeah well they can fix can, it they just never they just fell into that are. aging trap can yeah. they make computers right yeah why do they need computers they're more Where, how else would you get porn <laughs> I don't know if you do they even have fingers to I jerk mean, off with I'm sure okay so dolphins <laughs> obviously we're superior like dolphin communication does appear to have like some a lot of elements of actual language and given that it can be transmitted over a lot of miles and they and they're like almost human level smart. They probably have something like an oral tradition. So yeah. there probably is a dolphin analog to the Song of Solomon or some other erotic fiction nice. buried in the porpoise corpus. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been waiting to drop that? <laughs> I, I didn't. That's like fifty years old, and it came out of the Illuminatus trilogy. Oh, nice, cool. We're so off topic, but it's it's like really enjoyable. Yeah. As long as we're talking about that, though, that, that example I said I would get to. Hmm. Um, People don't just underestimate like technology directly impacting their lives. They, I think just because of how unintuitive the scientific process is, people don't realize how bad the precedent is, even when, it, when examples are pointed out for saying, well, science will never discover this. Uh, it, in like 2008, 2009, when I was totally an internet atheist stereotype, uh, this one Catholic person that I argued with was very sure that aliens didn't exist because... For all of our looking, we haven't found any other star with planets. Mm-hmm. And like at that exact moment in time, people were developing the techniques that we've now used to map the locations and estimate the masses of... What, we're probably into five digits worth of exoplanets now. Yeah. They were also wrong in 2008. We had been finding planets, I think, since <clears throat> the 90s. It may be the, two, maybe the early 2000s. Um, 
but it was it was emerging, and back then it was in the at least low hundreds. My numbers might be a little off, but I know we had exoplanets pre two thousand ten. That's possible. I guess part of it is the techniques we had at the time were completely inadequate to identify any an Earth like exoplanet. Right. Yeah, that's fair. We we were able to detect the like yeah, the wiggle of a sun that you would see by indicative of having a nearby non sun, like a Jupiter sized thing orbiting right. it. Yeah. Apparently, or, the first exoplanet found was one of those big gas gas giants in nineteen ninety two. Yeah, I knew that because it was brought up in the like re-release of Carl Sagan's Cosmos. I should have just made it sound like I was smart, but um, <laughs> no, I saw it on TV. Uh, this was that's like, one way to get smart. Some of the updates from the original release of Cosmos, and then when they're like you know the preamble to the the one that you can find now online, um, it used to be on Netflix. Uh, I think it was maybe just Andrean. I think uh, for some reason I have Sagan talking about it too. I can't remember, but um, like in the original Cosmos. Dinosaurs being wiped out via asteroid was one leading hypothesis, oh. or like one contending hypothesis, maybe. Like okay. this wasn't, conf- you know, like you mentioned two thousand eight. You know what else happened in two thousand eight that seems like forever ago? Like we can't imagine without it. The mortgage crisis. The release of the iPhone. Oh. Doesn't it feel like we, they've been around for like our My whole lives? Life? Yeah. Yeah. No. yeah. I remember um, being in kindergarten. We were talking about computers, and they asked. Um, like, who, how many of you have computers in your houses? The teacher is sort of proselytizing about technology, which was great. And then they did an exercise where they had blue and red blocks, and you had to put, like, your red or blue block on a stack if you had a computer versus not. And mine was the one that tipped the scale, because it was about 50-50, but my house did not have a computer. And then the teacher's like, I predict that... I forget, I, I wish I could remember what, like time scale her prediction was but like she was like definitely someday everyone's house is going to have a computer definitely someday everyone's pocket will have yeah. a computer <laughs> on their wrist well you know if we're getting <laughs> weird de- definitely someday everyone's body will have a computer right oh, like if if everyone currently sitting in this room isn't carrying around more computing power than existed on Earth at the end of World War II, mm-hmm. they're certainly within an order of magnitude. But I'm pretty sure that yeah, any of the cell phones here has more throughput than all of the computers that had ever been built combined at that time. Oh, at that time, yeah, yeah. totally. They were still using vacuum tubes back then. Wait. There are still, I mean, there are good reasons to use them for some things. I know they figured in like Soviet military electronics for a long time because unlike solid state stuff they won't be disrupted when a nuke goes off right. unless the tubes break <laughs> well, yes but um this, this is just like the argument like no vinyl just sounds better man if, if you're blasted badly enough to for the tubes inside a tank to be broken your electronics continuing to work that that's not your limiting problem right now. <laughs> completely valid yeah anyway i was sort of talking on the drive over here about we were talking about this one and about people's intuitions about the future being too limited, but I was just saying, like, I mean, I, okay, I remember the birth of the internet, and then, like, the whole, you know, maybe everybody will have a computer in their house, to the point where people now have, like, a, you know, a phone, and a Fitbit, and a smart watch, and a laptop, and a PC, maybe, and, like, probably, you know, some some kind of computers in their cars and like i've watched you just machine learning get to the point where now there is a uh there's a machine learning program that can draw unique anime girls yes 
the waifu generator. Yeah. It, that's not what it's called, probably. But uh, I believe the sign, uh, the the site is this waifu is not real. Yeah, this waifu does not exist. This waifu does not that's exist. Wasn't, wasn't this word post? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, there, there's one that'll generate feet pics if you send it texts. <laughs> oh god! Great. Yeah. So like, this is this is the like world that I grew up in. So like, I'm gonna be very difficult to surprise. But like, that's what we all think. You might be surprised. I don't know. No, I think, exactly. So this is, I guess, a good intuition pump. Um, when he was talking about uh, how people don't like imagine things being weird enough, he said, "What? Just try to imagine like." time going in reverse that like maybe you just revert back to being a peasant farmer <laughs> except like and maybe it's a better future but it's still going to feel about that weird i think that variance issue that i brought up with like how far you could get from a representative human experience is part of the reason that people's intuition about this is bad like imagine you're in that tribe of 150 people and someone actually invents the first bow and arrow you've ever heard of mm-hmm. that's a giant instantaneous leap but in that tribe of 150 people, there aren't so many people that you're statistically going to come up with intuitive leaps like that constantly. Scale the population up to 7 billion with millions of people going through STEM programs constantly mm-hmm. and like a ridiculous like meta industries that exist just to serve the people who try to come up with these insights. The, the absolute number of insights gets so much larger that we now think of it as a continuous process, but the intuitions that we have are calibrated for a world in which the bow and arrow might be the most revolutionary thing invented during your lifetime. Yeah, so that one ended with, I suspect that when people try to visualize the strangeness of the future, they focus on a single possible change of no greater magnitude than the largest single change they remember in their own lifetime. Yeah, as opposed to all the various changes that are all going to hit. I really First wanna, bow and arrow. Yeah, I really want to interview, like I should actually probably just talk to my grandmother. But like, it would be just so interesting to get the perspective of uh you know my grandmother is 87 and just i I just want to like show her the waifu generator or something and be like (laughs) hey guess what we've got do you think she'd be that impressed by a waifu generator i don't know um Uh, maybe not my grandfather would have been show her one of those voice deep fakes like uh, ben shapiro sings rap god by eminem (laughs) (laughs) yeah I, i feel like some of like the technological advances that we have are just like they probably just seem like magic though uh oh there's a I, i'll link to this but there was this uh interesting video of gpt3 just kind of being good at everything mm. and it's kind of freaky uh but like i feel like if i showed you know my grandmother like hey look this uh what is it an association engine basically can now do all these other things you gotta save that video from when we have our episode on GPT-3. Oh, we're going to do an episode on that? We absolutely should. It's GPT-3, man. I think, ex- I think explaining why the waifu generator or GPT-3 is amazing to somebody who isn't the least bit tech savvy would be really hard. I know. It's yeah. like there's so much inferential distance just explaining why this is important. <laughs> you're, you're, like you show them like, oh, cool. It helps write paragraphs. And it's like, but... But look at how look at, look at at how it's doing it. And like, so that that's the magic under the hood, right? Yeah. All right. Um, I think you might have an easier time uh, showing like the GPT-2 chess game or Gwern's GPT-2 composed folk music and explaining why that's cool. Because GPT-2 obviously and only works on text, but 
just by finding a way to represent folk music as text, you can teach it enough about folk music. Like by it'll watch other people do folk music and sort of figure out what the rules are. Oh cool. yeah, remind me to link this as well. There's a uh, what would you call it? There's like a cyberpunk zine that I subscribe to, um, and the person who writes the zine fed it into GPT three and then had GPT three write a post for him. Mm-hmm. And then like, analyzed the things that it was doing. Like, so he had little asides and italics that was like, here's where I definitely thought it was going to get off topic. But look, here's where it noticed it was getting off topic and then brought itself back out of that. It was really interesting. Yeah, I, I really want to read that link. Okay. Um, we can just make more Scott Perslate Star Codex uh, <laughs> posts. With GPT-3? Yeah. I wouldn't I trust them to be accurate. I want to try that, problem. though. What I want to, what I really want to try is like we're we're basically there, like you know, get every physics paper, get every publication, because you know there's more papers being published than any one human can keep up with, mm-hmm. than any team of humans can keep up with. Mm-hmm. Just have GPT three read all the paper, all the physics and paper, you know, all of them <laughs> up through two thousand, and then all of them since, and all of them every day, and then write some new ones, and then just check them. Yeah, no, I, I wonder, like that's the same principle as folding at home, where they were having people fold proteins into different unique shapes because. These are all excellent ideas for our GPT-3 episode. All right, yeah. Okay. We'll hold off. But today we're not talking about GPT-3. We're talking about something much well, more mundane. Wait. First, uh, our posts for next time. Right, sorry. They will be anchoring an adjustment and the crackpot offer. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> all righty. Uh, now, something much more mundane. Yeah, I was just going to lead in with that. So whoever oh, okay. wants to <laughs> tell us what we're talking about. Oh, sure. Um, it's guns. It's guns. <laughs> So, Th- yeah. Thanks for pulling the trigger on that. <laughs> so I, um, I don't know. I remember a old Robin Hanson post where he was talking about um, how do various people talking about uh, survivalist strategies and like you know how many calories you got to save up and where you should live to maximize your ability at clean water and uh, and grow enough calories or find calories in your environment and all that. And he said, "Look, this is." By the time things have gotten that far, we've kind of already lost the game. My my primary plan uh, for survival is making sure civilization does not entirely collapse. And uh, that's where I'm putting all my effort. And for the most part, I agree with him. I think, like, extreme survivalism is uh, is kind of missing um, the, the goal for, for... It's what? shooting for a goal that... If we're, once we're shooting for that, we've already lost the game. Unless you're just doing it for fun... Which yeah, like yeah, so like, but that's the thing is, if you're doing it, you're like, well, now I'm ready, and it's like, shouldn't you try and like not be ready for this scenario? Right, right. But there are certain scenarios that sometimes you do have to be ready for, as we found out with the uh, COVID uh, catastrophe, if we can call it a catastrophe. I think it's probably fair to call it a catastrophe. You can call it a pandemic. Pand- okay, yeah. Where uh, you know you really should have at least um, a month's worth, maybe three weeks worth of calories stored up, uh, and three weeks worth of any medication that you are really dependent on, because sometimes things happen and cities uh, get knocked out of their regular supply chains, and yeah. it can take a few weeks to re- um, to re-establish those supply chains. Could be a natural disaster, could be a man-made disaster, could be a pandemic, but whatever it is. Just the ability to know that you can uh, live for two to three weeks without having cannibalize your neighbors is uh, yeah. a great thing. So, oh my uh, god! So I remember because uh, cities are not self-sustaining or sustainable. I remember this art, or I guess it was an article, but uh, it was titled something like uh, 
one of the top search one of the top google search phrases was how do you make toilet paper mm. how to make your own toilet paper it's just like oh my god yeah oh my god <laughs> this is what we've... i mean if you're dedicated any paper can be toilet paper but i don't think that's what the <laughs> i don't think what the, the searcher sewers... was inquiring about yeah and I, you shouldn't flush non-toilet paper paper down the oh tube. my god no don't do it um i had my previous house, I had a bunch of housemates who apparently had been flushing things like paper towels and tampons, oh, God, no. and uh, it was really not fun when we had to like cut the pipes open and then like months of horrible food grease and uh, yeah, they don't, no, they don't, don't, don't they, do they, it. Tampons sound particularly awful. Like those things expand so much. I've heard of them being used like as yeah, for, a, for bullet wounds. for bullet wounds. They're great for bullet wounds, actually. Like, they're, they're packaged sterile, so that actually seems like an awesome idea. Uh, if you are worried about being prepared for the long tail of bad things that can happen, you probably should include a box of tampons for that reason. Yeah, like clot powder, tampons, you know. <laughs> it's one of those things, like, I mean, like, toilet paper didn't make my list of top ten necessities. Right. I because, can always use my hand and wash it if it comes to that. Right. Like, I, and that, that's why it blew my mind that this is what the shelves were out of, but there was there was plenty of canned food. Right. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to load up on canned food. Yeah. You know, when it comes down to it, yeah, you could use your hand. You could use a paper towel, or uh, excuse me, a, just a, 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 a rag, yeah. and and wash the rag. Mm-hmm. Like I've got a detachable shower head. Like you know, it. Like I guess what I'm getting at is I I do enjoy having toilet paper as a luxury. <laughs> You're not gonna die without but, it. But but if I had my list of things I need to have it, have it at home for a month, like that doesn't make the top ten. I think that um, in the same vein as I think it's cool that like or it's not cool that like schools are phasing out home ec. Uh, I think it's pretty important that kids learn how to cook meals and hmm. like repair basic things around the house and one of them was writing a check i don't know how relevant that is anymore but like basic finance stuff but like survivalist stuff should also be taught in school just like first of all just in case you know you do end up lost in the woods yeah. i only recently found out that it is not the optimal way to cook to just put it on the highest heat setting and, oh God. Yeah. and hurry through the cooking process yeah turns out sometimes you can cook part of the meat and not all the way through the meat yeah and then you can make your meat very dry that way but like yep, yep. Yeah, it was a bad other, lesson if you do that with bacon you're doing bacon wrong and you'll never get it properly crispy the other thing is uh oh also really quickly before we get off the top entirely i wanted to interject those things that are say they're flushable on them the flushable wipes oh, not that, at no. all flushable not it's flushable. a complete lie there should be a class action lawsuit against them don't know why there hasn't been uh you cannot flush those things don't do it yeah agreed i mean you it's physically possible you physically, but it'll but, yeah. if it's, if end up having the same effects they will not wipes. biodegrade yeah um there was a thought oh yeah uh the other th- reason that it would be cool if kids were learning basic survival skills is that it gives you an appreciation for the shit you have. Mm-hmm. Like, if you ever tried to build a fire... Uh, where did I read this? I forget where this came from, but somebody said, okay, go go outside and build a fire. Like, if people think that it's easy to build a fire, you know, like, or, or that the discovery of how to build fire wasn't that big of a deal, like, it was like, literally go outside, try, try to make a fire. Yeah. You won't be able to. Yeah. You it, it it's really difficult, and uh, the fact that you know you can turn on your stovetop and then there's flame or flick a lighter, uh, or you know then um maybe go try to like hunt something, and butcher it. That's still something I want to do. Um, since I'm, since I'm a meat eater, uh, which I would really like to eventually convert to veganism, but. 
I just have my three-week supply of boxed calories. I do not plan to ever butcher and kill something. Well, I feel like it's important to really face, like, emotionally the, the, what it's like, because it's hard to... I don't know. I don't want to watch no, those no, videos pass. of slaughterhouses. I, I understand this, this, this line of thinking entirely, though. There are a lot of people... Like, I, I've never understood people who think of hunting as cruel, but also casually eat meat. Right, like, right. Who seem to think of the meat of like a, a hamburger patty as something that as just a particularly messy fruit that's picked off a tree <laughs> and has to and shipped to you uh, in, in ice yeah there's people that are even like you know when they get the chicken breasts that are already cut and sterilized and everything from the grocery store i remember when my sister was young she if she ever found a piece of fat or uh god forbid a vein she would mm-hmm. like not be able to eat the rest of the food get nauseous and like mm-hmm. And it was just horrifying. She didn't ever want to think about the fact that steak was a cow. If someone started bringing up jokes about that, she'd be like, stop, don't talk about that. Oh, my gosh. Dude, the first time you see a little kid um, learn that their chicken nuggets or their <laughs> chicken wings are made out of a chicken, that's that's an interesting time to, to see the kid working, processing stuff. They're like, yeah. what? No, what? You're like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like... I guess I was gifted with the experience of having lots of animals die. Like, uh, I was, like, super interested in animals, and I just collected them. I had a whole bunch of animals. Uh, and But, like, the thing is that little kids don't know how to take care of animals. Yeah. And it's weird that, like, I don't know. Um, I think a lot of times people will get their kid, like, something small as opposed to getting a dog or a cat, something that's harder to kill by not taking care of it correctly. Uh, they'll get like my, my parents got me like a hamster and then like are they uh, especially susceptible to dying oh yeah um well this was two hamsters who killed each other uh, this happens a lot um yeah. or uh i kept getting lizards and then like the pet store the, the pet store fuck pet stores um seriously okay, I, hold on hold on we are getting way distracted. Or, or, yeah yeah okay so I'll rant about Petco another time. The reason we have gray here is because one of the things that breaks down when infrastructure breaks down during, you know, p- p- short-term outages of uh, infrastructure in your city is security. Uh, the cops sometimes can't get to where they uh, need to be to prevent bad things from happening, and you have to take care of that shit yourself. Or sometimes if things hit, shit hits the wind, they start bad things happening. Right, exactly. And uh, the the problem is that. In those situations, when you really need to go out and get a gun or something, it's too late. You, you, you don't have a chance to do it now because the ability to get the gun is gone. It's something you had to have beforehand. And uh, I am somewhat, I have been somewhat anti-gun, uh, but yeah, now that I trust the system far less than I used to, I am beginning to see the wisdom of maybe having a gun locked up in your basement, possibly even uh, buried in your foundations, John Wick style, so that there's no way you can get to it and accidentally suicide yourself. Or, well, I guess you still could if you were uh, if you were really determined. But the point being, <laughs> they're, they're, you're not about to have the gun used against you in a in a uh, in a burglary situation this is like when you really need the gun you can go break open your foundations and get it so we brought gray here in order to ask him things about guns since he is the discord gun guy like uh what sort of guns should we get how can we keep them safe how do we maintain them that sort of thing so gray are you in fact a gun guy yes uh one i'd say not the gun guy because there are enough other enthusiasts on the conspiracy that we have the use of weapons channel to quarantine discussion of such things 
but uh, I would say that I'm definitely top 10% on the Discord for overall familiarity and technical knowledge, and I've put enough reading into it and own a few of them. So I, I feel comfortable offering my expertise here. I guess I have the question to open with unless someone else wants to open. I guess my, my opening question would be if I want um, a gun that is reliable and easy to maintain and just, just a standard decent gun to not have on me all the time but that I can break out of my basement if I really need it in situations where sight is breaking down for a couple weeks, what short, sort of gun should I get? Wait, can I guess? You're going to say a shotgun. Yes. Can I, absolutely- can I narrowly guess double barrel shotgun that doesn't have the pump action that would deteriorate over years? I actually wouldn't say double barrel. I have a sentimental fondness for them, and they can be quite useful with practice. They ha- and they have they have one advantage over pump action shotguns, which is that because they don't have that repeating mechanism, uh, for an equal barrel length, they can be about four inches shorter, and that that does make a difference if you're using them in security type situations. But the amount of practice that you need to get their weird reloading motion down and grab two two shotgun shells reliably out of a pouch, something like that. Um, I They're the fastest way to get two shells out, but a pump action will always be faster for the third. And since you only have to memorize one motion, one set of motions to do a pump action properly, and because they, they just repeat one by one by one, I think it's easier to train and the maintenance requirements are honestly about the same nice i was just thinking i mean part of me is thinking that like in in the average home invader scenario from the movies what i'm gathering is if you can't do it in two shotgun blasts then what's the third one going to do you like if there's three guys yeah i mean i I guess like they don't know maybe they they won't be doing an inspection inspection of what kind of gun you have and when their first two have you know holes blown in them they might just leave yeah Uh, so so there, there is one possible argument in favor of a double barrel if you have exactly if you're going to have exactly one gun and your intended use is a home defense situation like that which is that those two big gaping muzzles pointed at you the intimidation factor is extreme. The, the other benefit of a shotgun with intimidation factor is that everyone knows the noise of the double barrel or the noise of a shotgun. I was going to say, and so I've all you have to do is like this is my my home defense strategy. Should I have a shotgun at home? Is I hear them robbing the house. I say, go go nuts, take whatever you want. And then if I hear them come upstairs, I'm like, hey, I'm sitting behind the door with a loaded shotgun, and you can have whatever you want in the house. But if the door opens, I'm going to shoot you in the face. I've and, heard that the racking sound of a shotgun. Uh, I guess being loaded uh, is enough to stop most people and deter them. So I I know of cases where that definitely didn't apply, but it's a very distinctive sound. And if I guess if someone's fight or flight isn't already engaged when they hear that, that's going to cut out the fight option for most people. Uh, And I believe there's case law in a couple of states that that constitutes uh, a demand that they leave. That once, if you've made that noise, (laughs) that is all the warning you're required to give. (laughs) So what I'm wondering is, could you like just do what Steven said, but like maybe just have your cell phone play the sound of a shotgun? It's going to be less convincing. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, I don't think you're going to get the bass required out of a cell phone speaker, honestly. Mm -hmm. You could probably build like a little a little button, you know, with yeah. the right speaker that would do it. But then in that, I mean, it's it's it would, part of the you know the the game theoretical implications of it is like you don't want them to test the your metal or you know if they're like well I don't care about getting shot or whatever then you want to actually be prepared to have to do the worst. Yeah, I, I but don't, if you want to if you want to re, re, you know uh, repel some percentage of invaders, that might work. 
Well, I categorically can't endorse putting more effort into the bluff than it takes to actually to have the actual threat available. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say, even if you could, don't. Uh, isn't it a bit of work getting a gun, getting the licensing, practicing with it, and maintaining it? So getting it under most circumstances not that big a deal. If you don't have a criminal record and you don't live in a couple of states that are just comically, stupidly draconian about this, um, the fact of not having a criminal record will be sufficient to get you a gun over the counter in less than an hour. Oh, and also they cost money, right? Yeah. So a pump-action shotgun of the type that I would suggest getting if you're going to get exactly one gun... After tax and including a bit of ammo, you're probably looking at spending 400 bucks. Yeah, that's that's a lot of money for some people. Oh, okay. But getting a convincing convincing robot would also be somewhat expensive. But playing a sound from YouTube on your computer, if that would work on 10% of whatever, you know. um, I was being kind of facetious about that. (laughs) that, that, But I I like the idea because part of it is the the, um, repelling factor of just having it, right? Like, Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I, it's, it's related, but it's like I, I was talking to somebody about guns just recently, and um, their primary home defense gun has a laser on it. Okay. And someone was pointing out, like they, they got into some, he was relaying an argument to me that he had, and was saying that, you know, that's like uh, showing intent to harm or something because you're, you're pinpointing. He's like, no, I think it's an act of, of compassion towards the person because that is the last, that's, that's the last straw, basically. They see that, and then if they don't stand down, they know exactly where that bullet's going. Yeah, that I would. So get a laser pointer. And... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Again, you're, make, you're making more effort to, to have the bluff than the actual threat requires. Well, laser pointers are nine bucks. Yeah, yeah. that's. Yeah. Um, so uh, you said in under an hour, isn't there usually multiple day waiting periods? Uh, that depends on a couple of factors. The, the specific state you're in being the biggest one. Uh, Virginia, where I grew up, has, I think, a three day waiting period for handguns and a law that prevents you from purchasing more than one in a month, but those are both waived if you have a concealed carry permit. Okay. And the And it doesn't apply to like long gun long guns? Those almost never apply to long guns. Okay. Um, in Minnesota, where I lived before moving to Colorado, they have something called a permit to purchase and what you do for that it's basically a sort of pre background check the state runs. You go down to City Hall, you fill out this form and uh, the the license they give you is required to purchase handguns and certain kinds of rifle that look scary. Uh, and basically, it just means that that permit means that the that the state police have already checked you against the state's databases of organized crime affiliates, known gang members, uh, like all felony convictions. Period. Uh, drug arrests because that's a disqualifying factor. And also involuntary psychiatric admissions because yeah, that's a disqualifying factor. I was going to ask about, what about mental health? If you haven't been uh, found guilty by reason of insanity, or found not guilty by reason of insanity in court, or involuntarily committed to a mental hospital, uh, then you don't fall under the mental health exclusions for ownership. Okay. Before we get too far afield, uh, I, I know that we were all expecting to say shotgun, but can you tell us why specifically a shotgun would be your first recommendation? Because a shotgun is, uh, how do I put this? I'm, I'm trying to remember the phrase that this was first given. So shooting a, a rifle is sciency. Um, the sights are somewhat complicated. There are a lot of ballistics 
there's a lot of ballistics knowledge that goes into using a rifle beyond its point blank range. Um, the particular selection of ammunition has, well, some influence, but not a lot most of the time. Uh, the, there are a lot of variables involved in shooting a rifle that you sort of have to know to to cover all the things you would use a rifle for. And you also have to aim, right? Yeah, the the aiming well, for a rifle is more complicated. Uh, shotguns are more artsy. They're the aiming of a shotgun involves pointing. It's done in fast and intuitively, and unlike the aiming of a rifle, it, it works off of muscle memory. Hmm. And like I think the majority of cases where you'd be using it for self defense, it would be short range. So yeah, it's the, unlikely to shoot somebody at thirty yards in self defense. Yeah. <laughs> If you're if the person's thirty yards away, unless there's a rifle pointed at you, it's not a self defense shooting. Exactly, hmm. and I mean, and how close I, do they have to be for it to be self defense? I mean, in in practice, there has to be some sort of lethal threat. But I don't think that I I would not be comfortable making an argument that someone thirty yards away was a threat unless I'd tried to run first and they'd followed. Okay. Um, most pistol shooting, like the effective range of a pistol, which is probably the commonly used defense thing just because it's what police carry mostly those almost always happen within five yards that's short yes holy shit um, i heard someone sprinting with a knife can usually cover nine yards before someone can draw and fire a, hand, a handgun yes you need a lot of practice to narrow that and i still wouldn't like to rely on it the other thing too i mean just like with the knife thing again two opponents standing in an open field and under ideal conditions Someone couldn't sprint in your house. You don't have enough runway, and even if you did, you've got they've got to run upstairs. Like, I mean, there are chairs to trip over. Exactly. So you know, it, I, I think of gun safety primarily in the terms of home defense, mm-hmm. and so that sort of factor doesn't really play in. Like, you've got a lot of cover. If someone kicked your one access point in, I guess two if they broke down the downstairs door or whatever. But from where you are, you're situated enough to where if you're pointing a gun at them and if they have a knife. You're like I. You guys can leave, or you know the the coroners can drag you out, right? Honestly, the downstairs access point is much less secure. Right. This is a solid door with a deadbolt. The downstairs is just plate glass. You can break it with a rock. Yeah. But so I guess the cliff notes of why I'd recommend a shotgun. They're cheap to acquire, cheap to shoot. The maintenance requirements are low, and the training is generally easier and for a lot of people more fun. If you're taking, if you're getting a shotgun and just want to take up shooting, I would recommend picking up uh, skeet shooting or trap shooting. That is fun. Um, that's so for people not familiar with the term. These are various shotgun sports that involve a clay target, like a, a clay disc being thrown through the air that you're supposed to nail with the shotgun uh, when it's flung. And, and I believe it explodes satisfyingly if you hit it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you get a, a very if you get a central hit on it, it turn just evaporates into a cloud of smoke. It is most satisfying. Every now and then, you'll just get it with one pellet, and it'll just kind of wobble, wobble, wobble. <laughs> yeah. But I've also seen like the the impact that skeet makes on any use of a shotgun. It's valuable even to professionals. I know people with no military background who whose only use of it is to shoot skeet regularly, and I've seen them humiliate U.S. Marines in informal competition. Hmm. <laughs> it's also just fun. And I mean, it, we'll, yeah, have, we'll have to get around to that part of the, it's a the aspect of it, maybe, if we get time. But, no pun intended. Um, yeah, it's yeah. a blast. Like, I mean, and I'm maybe lowballing it, but probably not that much. I think the time from I've never seen a shotgun before to proficiency is 10 minutes. <laughs> I'm serious. For home defense purposes, like, just, hey, here's how you hold it. This is the end of the bullets come out. You point in the general direction of, of what you're aiming for, and you'll hit them. Like, uh, there's really nothing to it. 
to to aim it, yeah, I can I can believe that for for just learning to aim the thing. As well, far I, I as think the to muscle... aim it, if it took them more than ninety seconds, I'd take it away from them. Yeah. Like that. I mean, there, there's nothing to aiming one. As as far as the other muscle memory you need, I would be comfortable saying that five minutes a day of practice will put you in good stead if you're not paranoid. Yeah. What about the recoil? So that is, uh, there are a lot of things that will influence that. If you're buying something for home defense, you will not want to use the same sorts of shells you would typically use for skeet. That's actually another advantage of shotguns, by the way. If you have any uses in mind that aren't home defense, shotguns can be retooled for a lot of different applications with just a change of ammo. And the ammo is widely available and there's an extreme variety of it. Are there Uh, any especially fun uses that are not home defense. <laughs> Ski shooting target practice is fun. So sporting clays in particular, which is designed to simulate like you moving through an environment with game birds, is <laughs> particularly ridiculously fun. So instead of just having, uh, as like on a trap range, there will be a house that you're a trap house that you're standing in front of, and the clays will be flung out in random directions. On a sporting clays course. There might be one that simulates a rabbit and the clay target will roll on its side along the ground and have a jump at a defined point. Oh, cool. The The variety of tests that it can subject you to, uh, it, it's a bunch of fun. That's uh, the kind that I did. Was uh, it, it wasn't so... You basically moved across something like a dozen different arenas and then it, they would fire from one or two spots, yeah. often simultaneously. And it's... I mean, it's, it's fun and, and engaging. Um, but there is recoil. It, I mean, yeah. by the end of the day, I had a nice shoulder bruise, and yeah. it was the second manliest bruise I've ever received. So, <laughs> so I don't do a lot of manly things. So I, I was very proud of it. Yeah, shotguns, they do uh, throw a lot of lead. They don't throw it very fast, but they throw a lot of it. Um, a turkey load, like something you'd go after wild turkey, for that you want a lot of really fine shot. So you actually have to use a, a shell that's longer than the standard length just to fit all the shot and powder in there. And so to, to make sure uh, that normal guns don't take the ammo by mistake. Hmm. Would uh, that would that be um, scatter shot? Uh, that that's just a general term for the for shot. Like with, with shotguns, you start at bird shot, which can be very very fine, down to like a millimeter per pellet. Um, they the sizes can step up pretty big from there. Then you get into buckshot, named because somebody at some time thought it was appropriate for deer hunting. Personally, I wouldn't not? chance it, but it could work in a pinch. Huh. Um, and then the next step up from buckshot is slugs, which is just a solid one ounce blob of lead that's launched at one and a half times I, the I speed of sound. I can't so, remember the goddamn name of it, but um, what is it when you shoot basically a bunch of shrapnel? Flechette rounds? Yeah. Those, those aren't for shotguns, though. Uh, they, they exist for shotguns. They were tested oh, they? in Vietnam. Okay. The problem with them is that they're uh, partly because steel's not very dense, they're comically ineffective under a variety of common circumstances. Mm. Raindrops will knock them off course. Um, but they the, have, the point is, you shoot a lot of them, right? So, like, you're almost guaranteed to have a few of them hit. Yeah. the The principle with a shotgun is just none of the individual pellets is supposed to cause the terminal performance that you want. But with enough pellets, you're going to get something somewhere. You want heavier pellets going after something like deer than you do going after birds because, well, there's a lot more meat in the way that you have to damage. Deer are very resilient. So uh, getting back to our defense thing, what kind of shot do you want to buy for uh, taking down humans? So the... Human shot. <laughs> uh, for this purpose, we'll call it... We'll 
assume that humans are deer. Okay. Um, in the military settings that I've seen, you commonly see uh, du- double or triple zero, usually pronounced triple aught, buckshot used. Uh, triple aught buck is a bullet about the size of a 9mm pistol bullet, and the shell will contain around nine of them. So that one shell is equivalent to emptying a pistol into someone up close. Damn. Um, I don't but actually... it goes a lot slower than a pistol. Uh, oh, it goes with. faster. There's a lot more really? barrel to accelerate it. Okay, damn. Yeah, you're pro- you're probably getting. I think you might actually get after accounting for the bullet weights. You're you're definitely getting at least as much energy per pellet as a pistol would deliver. Okay, but the the spheres are lighter and they don't penetrate as well. So I'd say that the the overall performance per blob of lead breaks even. I don't recommend uh, zero or larger buckshot though if you're talking about using it for home defense because it will go through both sides of a drywall Mm. the police standard i'm for the for this reason in a lot of cases is number four buckshot which will go through one sheetrock but not two okay so So if you don't accidentally shoot your neighbor if you're firing it inside the house you don't have to worry about anyone outside the room you're in and that is a pretty big advantage since the whole reason you're defend doing defending is that there are people in the house that you care about more than things gotcha unless they're all behind you (laughs) including your neighbors if you share walls with people Um, that's when you load up the good stuff if as we do you live in somewhat densely populated areas i would be very careful to select something that won't leave the house so how um do you keep this safe in your house Uh, my guns are kept I, i have a gun safe on order a big heavy one that's I'm probably going to take forever to deliver because COVID. Mm. But um, the my, my current storage involves a case that has several locking points on its own. And when the options available, that is chained with hardened, like specially hardened chain uh, with an additional lock to a radiator. Okay. If you live someplace that ha- if where you live like has radiators, radiator. they're very good to chain that sort of thing too i don't have radiators but i have a basement with exposed studs can i drill like a hole through a stud and feed the chain through that if you've got anything else low like load bearing that's visible i would use it first and uh, like chain it to a support column mm-hmm. um the there are if you don't have uh like I mean, if, you, if you've got exposed studs you could just nail another hard piece of wood to two of them and use that as your you know your rack to drill through and it might be easy to kick, uh, kick that wood. Well, no, maybe if I put like two large screws through both sides. Yeah, make it yeah. make it sturdy. Yeah. What if you just chained it to a bunch of like chain a bunch of things together, so it would just be very unwieldy, like to your coffee table, to your couch, like. <laughs> so th- that's actually a fun example that I was going to bring up. Uh, I've seen in like highly secured building settings. This system that I would gather is specified by the insurance agent uh, by the insurance industry uh, for rating the security of doors. Um, it will say something like, "This door is certified against two hours of surreptitious entry attempts or five minutes of brute force up to and including sledgehammers." Um, if yeah, if someone is willing to use dynamite, there's no door that's going to secure anything. Yeah. But uh, I always find it funny that people try to enter through doors or windows when you could just get a sawzall and like usually cut your way right through the wall. Well, it's way easier to enter unnoticed through a door or window. Yeah, that's true. That's that's why they separately rate the surreptitious and brute yeah. force attempts. Like dynamite plus sledgehammer will clear any door that you can get through alone, 
it may damage what you want to take. Mm -hmm. So that's why people don't just default to that option. So what were you saying about insurance companies and the gun safes? Oh, so, well, the uh, if you don't have... One thing you could do with a safe, in it, if, since you own the place, is um, get a safe and actually screw it into the studs. A lot of safes will have screw holes so oh. that you can... You put it up against the wall and you screw it onto the studs, mm -hmm. so they have to basically structurally compromise the house in order to move the safe. Mm -hmm. um, that's the, the best case. Uh, or the best case is that, but you have concrete to work with. The second best case is yeah, being able to get it into the studs like that. If you rent and like most landlords I've had, your landlord is not comfortable with you drilling holes in structural <laughs> elements of the building, then you're probably best off with enough security that it's inconvenient to try to get open and then also just having the storage concealed. Uh, there are a lot of products you can buy that will, for example, uh, stick to the underside of a bed frame and hold a shotgun there. Uh, some of them will have a like a, a lock that can be released with a fingerprint or with a finger yeah. with a touch combination that you can do in the dark, and it will release the gun and you can pull it up away from that. Could you stick an alarm on it too? Uh, you could, and there are... I can't think of a specific example, but I am sure that there exist locking solutions like that. Um, I mean, you mean you mean just to show one. that the shotgun's been moved? Yeah. Yeah, I mean they make uh, those little. They're ten bucks to a pair. You, you used to build them good at Walgreens. They put on sliding doors or windows, mm -hmm. and it's just you know if the magnet gets far enough away from the base part of it, it starts screaming. So it let you know if the door was opened or whatever. Um, yeah. I mean you could just if you're doing the under the bed solution, you could just have you know the magnet glued or taped to the gun barrel and the yeah. Seems the like it would be battery easy to part DIY. Yeah. If you're if you're storing it in a way that doesn't require immediate access, um, which my, is what I would prefer. Like you, I only want to bust this out in the once in a decade actual emergency. Well, you want it to still be something that you can get at in the space of a few seconds when you want to. Which I think which I personally do not. Those touch locks are generally, I think, good for that reason. If it takes you sixty seconds to get at, it's not useful when you need it. I see. I, so, I am again specifically thinking about societal breakdowns. The the city has been hit with a disaster where I will have time to take a sledgehammer into my basement and break it out of the foundation, John Wick style. So, so your plan isn't home defense. No, my plan like for is for like, average circumstances. Exactly. It's for oh, in that case, just like oh, his plan is civil disturbance. Yeah, we're we're talking about different mission requirements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just um, hide it so in the you wall. absolutely could just keep them in a safe. Um, if you want to look cool and have a room you can show off, then you can also get wall racks that will accomplish largely the same thing, but, you know, leave them visible while they're stored safely. Right. Um, wall of guns picture can be kind of cool. So <laughs> that's not a terrible idea, but the safe is still strictly safer. So a wall of one gun is probably not as cool though. Hence the name. <laughs> My grandfather had a pretty cool rifle that was mounted above his fireplace. And I always thought that was pretty manly. I and it know. worked in that one zombie movie parody, uh, Shaun of the Dead. That's oh yeah, it. yeah. The, they had the rifle at the pub that hap that apparently when they when they need it turns out to not be deactivated. <laughs> um, that being said, if you okay, since for your mission requirements, Eniosh, if you since you don't specifically don't want it to be accessible on except as a very deliberate decision, mm -hmm. I would store the gun itself locked and hidden somewhere, and hide like store the bolt. The, the main critical operating part, removed from the gun in a different and more securely locked and even less obvious place. Oh, okay. Um, I, there's at least one amusing story from the Spanish Civil War in which the uh, Republican forces 
took over, uh, captured a government armory with 100,000 rifles in it, but the government troops had had the foresight to take the bolts out, turning them into expensive, finely polished clubs. <laughs> Did they take the bolts with them? Yes. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, they, they left behind, like, and since the bolt is maybe 5% of the weight of the thing, yeah. it was much easier than trying to take the guns with them. And denied it to the enemy equally effectively i'm trying to think of the funniest way to like hide a gun in plain sight i'm like imagining just using it at, like as the shaft of an umbrella <laughs> so i don't like, do that with a gun put like a uh, lampshade there over a, it <laughs> there's a rarely in, well not rarely enforced because it's very vigorously enforced when they find out about it but for most people it will rarely matter there is a rarely mattering law called the National Firearms Act, which requires uh, federal registration and a tax stamp and an extensive, and theoretically an extensive background check uh, for a couple of specific categories of gun, and one of them is something that's not identifiable as a gun, or that, that can be fired in a state where it's not identifiable as a gun. Hmm. So a pen gun, like you see used in a couple of the Bond movies, oh, that yeah. would fall under it. Um, With 3D printing, um, you can make some pretty weird-looking things that are guns but looked nothing like a gun. I, I could... I have participated to some extent in 3D printed gun discussion and would be entirely content to talk about that in some sort of parallel universe where people's minds get killed. Okay. Uh, I can't imagine where we could find a, uh, a venue like that. Um, so you have this gun. Uh, you've gone to the range and you've practiced with it, I hope. Uh, how do you maintain this shotgun? Clean it after at most every other shooting like cleaning after every shooting is preferable but honestly shotguns in particular are unlikely to require that level of maintenance um make absolutely certain periodically that all of the mechanics are functioning in the intended ways and not in a couple of specific unintended ways uh, i've seen one rifle go off uh when the safety was turned off because uh, without getting too much into the details, basically the trigger was pulled with the safety on and the safety accomplished its goal of not having the gun be fired when the trigger was pulled, but the mechanism didn't reset properly. So when the safety was turned off, the already released firing piece moved into the position it was supposed to. Oh, okay. Nobody was hurt. The gun was pointed in a safe direction as it should have been, but it was uh, quite a shock for everyone present. And what is uh, involved in these cleaning maintenance things? What do you do? Uh, you do a cur at least a cursory disassembly for any of the common models of shotgun. Uh, I would specifically say if you're getting your very first gun and you plan, it to plan for it to be the only one, look into a Mossberg 500 or a Remington 870. Uh, they've both been produced in the tens of millions. They're relied on by people who need guns they can rely on. And if you're the sort of person who really likes to customize, uh, the aftermarket, the, the accessory market for both is enormous. So the, and you, you can find easily enough on YouTube any a video to disassemble either of these. Mm -hmm. In the case of a shotgun, basically it means that you lubricate all of the parts that are going to be in constant contact with each other, swab powder fouling out of the barrel and chamber, and... Uh, scrape off occasionally some burned on powder residue from the bolt how long does it take a cursory cleaning for a shotgun you could probably accomplish with practice in 15 minutes okay so i think there's a lot of you know like uh 
depending on the culture and when, but often, you know, like the reverence for one sword or something, mm-hmm. and like you can wipe that thing down in five seconds, mm-hmm. but a proper cleaning can, can be, it, it was more of a, I mean, so, somewhat, so, yeah, somewhat ritualistic. And so like, I don't, I don't know anyone personally who treats their guns with that level of reverence, but like, it's not usually the kind of thing of like, at least in my limited experience where it's like, shit, I got to get this done. Let me hurry up. It's like, no, I'm going to be, you know, I'll sit at the table, watch a movie and I'll take them apart and clean everything and get it all nice and done. And then it's just kind of like uh, a leisure. It's a relaxed activity. Yeah. N- none of the, particularly with a shotgun, none and more particularly with a pump, none of the individual activities involved in even a detailed cleaning are mentally effortful mm-hmm. once you actually know how to perform them. So it's, yeah, it's absolutely something that you could do while watching reruns. And how much practice would you recommend to get down the, the shooting and the loading part of knowing how to use a shotgun? I'd spend five minutes a day cycling it with dummy rounds, huh. uh, get three or four of them so you can practice the reload motion. There's a, uh, for how long? Like a week, a month? Five minutes a day for a week will have you familiar. Five minutes a day for a month would probably have it in good muscle memory. Huh. If you enjoy doing it, more practice certainly isn't going to hurt. But I mean, like two hours at a skeet shooting range would accomplish a considerable amount. Uh, I mean, most... I, not, not for muscle memory and long-term commitment sort of thing, but just, just getting your hand around the practice. And like, and it's one of those things, too. For, for people who hate guns, admitting that they're fun is... Like, I don't know, uh, taboo. Um, but that, it's a I, so thing. I, I, don't, I don't own guns, um, but I fired several, and it's a great time. Like, I get why people like them. Um, I, I, I guess it's weird to discount that. Like, I mean, I, I, I hate any invidious comparison to, to driving, but like, you know, driving a muscle car is a lot of fun. You know, if you've ever driven like. You know, an, an old, uh, you know, diesel, the, the ones that you feel shake, you know, <laughs> yeah. and like that's it, again, it's fun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but again, it's not dangerous in the same way that shooting a gun's dangerous, but it's, I think there's nothing oh, wrong much with much more dangerous. It, it, it's depending on, yeah. The, that, that depends on the metric you're using. Yeah. I'm just thinking about the number of people killed. Although, actually, I don't know what the numbers are for people killed by guns versus by cars. I was going to actually bring this up as an example of the availability heuristic. Like a lot of people. Um, I don't know a lot. Um, I mean, you hear a lot about gun deaths. Right, you hear a lot about gun deaths, and many people are worried about being killed in a mass shooting. And don't get me wrong, I've let this fear affect my life, but not in a way that like is ruining it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think mass shootings are, what, 0.2% of all deaths, or 0.02% of all gun deaths? I'm pretty sure it's even less than that. Mass shootings are incredibly rare. Yeah, but they kill more than one person. That's usually, I think, minimum four. Um, do you have this number off the top of your head, Gray? You're my, so, you're my Wikipedia. First order approximation. Let's the my my first order approximation of the worst case is one such shooting a week in the U.S. And let's a mass say, shooting or uh, yeah, one such one mass shooting a week spread across the population of 300 million. I think with, it depends on how you define mass shooting because like I, I've I've heard people saying like an armed robbery where four people got shot counts as a mass shooting, whereas to me that's more like a drug deal gone wrong. I, when I think of mass shooting, I think of like what like we school yeah. like a school shooting. So, or something. And killing your family of five doesn't count as a mass shooting either. No, yeah. yeah. So squishing together a, cu- uh, a couple of uh, category boundaries I've seen that are probably useful for understanding that. Let's say more than three victims not directly known to the person committing the crime and not in connection with another felony. Mm-hmm. 
So that excludes, like, a, if a bank robbery went really badly and a bunch of people got shot, that would be terrible. But it would also be not helpful to classify it as a mass shooting because the dynamics at work there are not similar to the... It, it's a non-central example. Yeah. So let's say, yeah, let's say one mass shooting a week to a first order approximation of worst case. And let's say, just to be hyperbolic, I'm pretty sure this is more than the average number, but 10 victims. That would be 500 people a year, 520 people a year, which is actually fewer last time I checked than the number of accidental gun deaths, which are also vanishingly small. Um. I think that there's something like 600 a year spread across the entire population, and that's about 2% of all the deaths caused by firearms and... Yeah. And suicide numbers? Those are in the uh, tens of thousands, right? Or thousands, at least? 20,000, give or take 5,000 suicides, I think, and 10,000, give or take 3,000 homicides. Yeah, the I think like the only... Maybe not the only, but uh, one of my misgivings about guns is that they do increase the amount that people will commit suicide, because uh, if you give someone an easy way to kill themselves, they're more likely to do it in a fit of peak, as opposed to, if they have to really think about it, they usually don't. That's why you cement it into your basement. By the time you've broken it out, you've gotten yeah. all that energy out, and you don't want to kill yourself anymore. Maybe Endorf- you just- You've exercised releasing endorphins. Exactly. Endorphins make you happy. Happy people don't kill people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, that is definitely an argument for the sort of more uh, code red only storage method that I suggested for Anyosh. Yeah. Mm. So you brought up Mind Killers. I remember there was an episode uh, about. Uh, what was about transgender stuff? Oh, it was yeah, the J.K. Rowling being dumb uh, about transgender stuff. And I believe it was David on there that was saying, like, well, just get a gun. You know, if you're worried about violence, there's a technology oh. for this. Just, just get... And, uh, there, so. there is a steel man for that argument that I don't feel like... Because David's very quippy, but he didn't give a, the good reasoning behind that. Oh, do you want to... I mean, I'll do my I'm, best. I'm already convinced, but like, oh, well, I'd I mean, like to hear your thing anyway. And then I want to hear everyone else's too. But like, for me, what I what I like about the the, be- the best version of the argument is that again, if someone breaks in your door, I don't know how what your measurements yeah, so are. I'm like less concerned about someone breaking into my house as I am like violence from people who hate gays or whatever. Like out, so you you're, you're thinking like concealed carry or something? Uh, that, yeah, that's yeah. more where my um, like. I guess, yeah, so whatever your concern, I mean, the, the the factor that I really like about guns when it comes to self-defense is that I'm not sure exactly how much you weigh or how tall you are or whatever, but it doesn't really matter. Like, you're you're not 6'5 and 250 pounds. I'm a small person. Uh, exactly, you're a small person. But a 6'5, 250-pound person is stopped by you with a gun, and you don't have to learn how to fight like you know, Bruce Lee to take this person down enough to dedicate a lifetime of training to be able to survive an encounter. If you're three feet away, from, if you're three feet from arm's reach from them and you're ready to shoot, you, you are safe. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I think like th- that's another thing where you could just intimidate people to back down to, because that kind of like, there's like harassment, uh, and mostly like transgender people tend to get beat up. Maybe they'll get beaten to death or whatever, but it's not often somebody just like, coming at you with the gun see i would be worried yeah, if, if, about if, getting jumped if i had a gun on me like so i that's that's a circumstance where if i felt like i was going to get yeah. jumped i would draw the gun first not well, wait till i was getting my ass kicked 
release. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you wouldn't be able... I, do they make fingerprint release things you carry on your person? They do, but I've heard they're not very good uh, because they have delicate electronics that tend to get banged around when the explosion happens in them thing. Yeah, as a dude, don't rely on anything electronic more complicated than a laser sight in a firearm setting. Um, those probably exist, but they're not commercially marketed because, well, at least partly because there's been a lot of lobbying to prevent them from being required, lest they become mandatory everywhere. And I know that the NRA agitated against them for extensively in the 80s and 90s when they were being talked about as tech of the immediate future. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, they've been around that long. Um, so that they were just saying... No like... earlier than Reagan administration. And I'm pretty sure that there, there haven't ever been any examples ready for to be marketed. Yeah, I guess my, my concern, though, is that, like, if you're getting jumped and then, you know, the gun goes flying out of your, your concealed holster inside your jacket or something, then this goes from an ass-kicking to a, like, there's a gun in the situation. Yeah. So that that's why, like, I mean, I guess it depends, you know, if, if like... This is the situation where I think in the mind killers example, it was, you know, leaving women's restrooms available to assigned women because it's a nice place. It's like a refuge. Then that's, that's the, I, I can see the argument there. Uh, Cause then society will say, Hey, you're not allowed in there. You six, five burly man. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, complexities aside, I understand that argument, but uh, like, that's not necessarily a situation at that point where you're ready to kill somebody. And that's the important part of having a gun. Like, it, it's it's nice to be able to threaten somebody, but if they don't back down, especially if they're close enough to harass you to a point where you're actually scared, like if someone's yelling at you from across the street, whatever, like that sucks, but not worth kill, not worth you know a gunfight. <laughs> but if if somebody is close and grabbing and shaking you or something, that's almost like too late. You've got to extricate yourself, and then like, or if you do go for the gun, be, use it immediately. You can't like be. I mean. You tell me if I'm wrong, Gray, but I'm just imagining the situation, and maybe I'm painting too vivid a, a picture, but you wouldn't want somebody grabbing and shaking you, and you hold the gun while you're being held by them and say, let go or I'll shoot, because then they're right there. Oh, if they're like, already touching, you would probably just shoot. That's that's yeah. what I'm saying, yeah. I wouldn't even like try to intimidate at that point. You just And, you know, you yeah. could... If, you know, if they're in contact, the time for that sort of thing has passed. Um, top, two topical additions, though, partly because you've been talking about something you're carrying, and that is sort of out of what we'd already been discussing. If you don't already have a gun and aren't willing to spend significant time learning to use a pistol, don't get one. The learning curve is much less forgiving. There are more things that can go wrong. The muscle, the, the amount of stuff you have to get into muscle memory is greater. And yeah, in general, that's a much bigger lifestyle decision. Mm-hmm. I guess, um, yeah, I agree. It's a bigger lifestyle decision, but I'm like a revolver is, and you'll, Correct me, but not that much more complicated than a shotgun. Like it's got two moving parts. Mechanically, um, no, but like in terms of actually using it, um, for one thing, because there's no spread, accuracy with a pistol is a fantasy. Like doing, getting <laughs> getting the amount of accuracy with a, a pistol that you would get with a long gun is a fantasy. Um, but you're not looking for accuracy for you know self defense. Well, have you ever seen the security videos of two people about ten feet away emptying clips into each other and yeah. neither one hits? Police. Like guns are ridiculous. Pan guns are ridiculously easy to not even get close to your target with. Yeah, like an I... upper bound on the accuracy of the biggest class of people getting into gunfights in the U.S., namely police officers. I would upper bound their shot for shot accuracy at ten percent. That sounds generous. Yeah. Yeah, that's why. I... I so, find it hilarious when in movies, like someone who's never used a gun, you know, someone will throw them a gun and be like, take this. And then they're just firing it. And it's like, no, 
no <laughs> I mean, they, they are easy like sure. i mean again doing it with accuracy and and uh you know especially accuracy per shot or whatever they're extremely good if someone is like just out of arm's reach exactly like at point blank range if they're about to step closer to you you can sh- tag them in the torso no like, problem you you shouldn't be thinking of a handgun as a ranged weapon right it's a power fist yeah. that, that, exactly that and that, that's how i think of them like it yeah it i can't it, i I, I can never imagine a situation where you want a ranged weapon at for self-defense, unless your range is 20 feet in your house or something. Um, I, like, I, if you're a crack shot and you spend several, I don't know, a dozen or so hours a month practicing or something, then it's like, all right, cool. You're probably prepared from the dining room table to shoot your front door if you need to. Um, like, I'm thinking specifically of somebody who I learned a few days ago has a gun uh, attachment underneath their dining room table with a ma- <laughs> with a magnet that they just pull the gun down and it's ready to go and they make a compelling case so in the in the paranoid i need this for home defense in the event of somebody breaking in um which is ridiculous for this person's life circumstances or aside from that but for that for that idea around chambered no he's not he's not an idiot okay um so like but but the but the rationale is that most of his guns are in a safe in the back of the house one is accessible in his dresser drawer i think but like those are both past the living room door, hmm. and so someone comes in and says, "Aha, I've got you." Then it's like, "No, I don't have to run past you to get to my bedroom. I've got a gun right here." Yeah, the um, my thoughts on that would take too long to discuss for the, and that would be too technical for this episode. Um, in general, yeah, if you don't want to include guns as a lifestyle thing, avoid handguns. Um, the totally shotgun's agree. a better pick for literally everything. Uh, well, Adre- oh, for- the other topical addition I wanted to make on shotguns because uh, Jace asked about ammunition. Uh, I will repeat the recommendation for number four buckshot if you're interested in something that might ever be fired indoors. Um, if you are, as Jace is, somewhat slight of build, go with a 20 gauge rather than a 12 gauge. And regardless of which one you pick, get a recoil pad. Um, it will be a large quality of life improvement while you're practicing. How much practice would you recommend in just shooting? Uh, If you're doing the reload drills, I'd say you can probably keep from atrophying too much with one weekend of like a day, a weekend day of skeet in a month. Oh, so, but you'd have to, you would recommend doing at least one weekend of skeet out of every four weeks? Yes. Wow. Okay. And the the thing about shooting skeet is it's fun enough that if this agrees with you, it's some, that won't feel like an imposition anyway. Okay. How much does that cost, though? Uh, depends on the ranges in your area. I can't remember what a membership at the nearest skeet range to my house in Minnesota cost, but it wasn't terribly unreasonable. You're looking at a few cents a pop for the clay pigeons and... Well, more now, but I seem to remember uh, target loads like you would use for shooting skeet being between 15 and 25 cents before COVID uh, per shell. Oh, yeah. And then has COVID uh, affected your ability to get a gun? Um, it definitely led to some panic buying early on. I already had most of what I wanted, so didn't oh, have sorry, to Oh, sorry. I meant you plural, like... The world? The, the generic you. Yeah. Um... So there was definitely some panic buying right after the pandemic was declared. Um, the There's probably still a delay on background checks. It's been over a year since I had to file one of those forms. So I have no direct experience with the climate right now. But I have 
looked to buy ammunition during this time, and it definitely got more expensive. Mm. Um, it's not like right after Barack Obama got reelected expensive, <laughs> but it is definitely oh above equilibrium pricing right now. So, uh, um, above the above routine pricing right now. If uh, you don't want to put that much money and time into getting a gun, um, and if your concern is more again like protection on the go, uh, do you have recommendations for other kinds of I don't know I'm thinking like pepper spray, taser, um, what other types of self defense besides a gun or even I don't know. Uh, what are your recommendations? So I have a hard time recommending tasers because they're more, much more dangerous to the person they're being used on than pepper spray and not as, relative, not as effective relative to pepper spray as guns are. They seem kind of fiddly. They're, yeah. Also, they can be reliably stopped by thick clothing. So depending on where you live, they may be worse than useless for a good chunk of the year. Yeah. Um, Gets cold here. Yeah, pepper spray is. Pepper spray has the virtue that if you're if the idea of actually using lethal force is really troubling to you, and it should be at least somewhat troubling, uh, if it's really troubling to you that you might kill somebody, pepper spray is something that will very very reliably not do that. I guess if someone had like horrifying multi-trigger asthma and did that and and were hit with pepper spray and an ambulance couldn't get to them yeah, in time it's very and they didn't have an EpiPen. Yeah. There, there are a lot of things that have to go wrong all at once for someone to die from being pepper sprayed. And unless someone's taken a fair number of precautions, it will cause a lot of very distracting discomfort. Uh, the last time I remember talking to its u- about its use with someone who was familiar with it, it was a New Mexico state trooper. And... Uh, what he explained to me was that New Mexico state troopers aren't allowed to carry pepper spray until they've been subject to a grueling application of it directly to themselves so that they understand just how much suffering is behind that button when they press it. Yeah, I saw... It it involved being like continuously sprayed into the eyes, nose, and mouth for over a minute. A minute? You have to approach the person who's pepper spraying you and relieve them of the can. I saw like, They're not going to like wrestle you for it, but you have to approach them under this continuous spray directly into your face and grab the can. Why, why is that the requirement? So that you know exactly how much pain is being inflicted when you squish that button. So you don't like, use it against like someone who's annoying you in the grocery store. Yeah, the, the <laughs> problem with it is the fact that it's pretty much guaranteed to not be lethal might lead some people to use it casually, mm. and it's really not appropriate for those circumstances for casual use yeah no Um, i remember watching this uh training camp i think it was military i forget this was like when i was in middle school but they were making a bunch of recruits uh walk through a tent like a, a maze that was full of pepper spray and when they were coming out just sobbing like vomiting curled up in fetal position crying for their mom like (laughs) it's like take take the hottest pepper you've ever had and grind it into your nose and corneas and you will still not be applying as much scoville heat as pepper spray has okay yeah it's it's uh it's disabling which is which is the nice thing about it i mean so for the circumstances you're talking about like if you're on the go worried about being harassed um pepper spray is awesome like i 
the downside of using it in my and you know more about it than I do. I, I'm talking like an expert, but I've I've been downwind to pepper spray, mm-hmm. which tells me that if you were to fire it, say in the confines of a bathroom stall, yeah, you um, could get hit with it too. You would get hit with it too, but you'd be hit with it less. You'd probably be able to see your way out, where they would be blinded and, and you know on the ground trying not to throw up in their face. Um, so but like, at least like the threat's neutralized. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the threat's neutralized and you're uncomfortable. So that's no big you deal. Keep your bones yeah. in one piece. But you were talking about getting a button that makes the shotgun shotgun noise. Tasers are and oh. forgive me. I, I know that taser and stun gun aren't the same thing. I'm talking about the one that you press the button and there's an arc of electricity. That's a stun gun. And that's the counterintuitive part to me. Yeah. Because the one that you shoot isn't a stun gun. <laughs> that one's a taser. The one that you hold is a stun gun, and I, I hate that. Yeah, um, that's annoying. It's a taser. Taser is the is the trademark of the one company that makes the actual pistol shaped sh- shoot at a distance stun gun. Oh. Where there there's a there's a cartridge that's loaded into the front of the taser that fires these two electrodes. Right. And on impact, they release quite a bit of juice. Um, taser, like it's called that because Taser International. I'm pretty sure this isn't actually true, but it neatly maps to some golden age science fiction. Taser was supposed by at least one reader in the 80s to be a uh, an acronym for Thomas A. Swift's electric rifle. <laughs> that weapon. is what the Encyclopedia Britannica says. Yeah. I love it. Um, so anyway, the, the intimidation factor of a stun gun is huge. They're very yeah. loud. And they're they're like, you can get a decent one for under 50 bucks. And so like between that and the pocket mace, you can, again, I don't know if they sell the stuff at Walgreens anymore either if I sound just old, but you still able to get portable you know key, get it key like chain, ace hardware ace hardware or amazon i mean you can buy a stun gun? 150 bucks is a lot more than you'll need to spend at a no, gun show for a stun fif- gun. 50 oh. not not 150 okay yeah when, oh i, I when said your under friend, 50 like, pulls it yeah. out and is holding it and says i'm about to turn it on it's really loud and you're like okay when they turn it on you still jump yeah because that's yeah. how freaking loud it is it is the sound oh, of arcing shit. electricity yeah it's and terrifying so, sounding. and like like you said but but thick clothing will turn it off but uh you know, you could get an exposed hand, you could get an exposed face, like, but like you said, too, I'm pointing at Gray, I'm, I'm just saying you, um, there's a lethality element to that, too, but uh, between a taser and, and, excuse me, between a stun gun and mace, you're, I think you're, is mace also trademarked? I'm sure be using pepper spray. Uh, no, mace, I think it might, act, it might have been a trademark, but it's kind of genericized now, not, not in a legal sense, but if you say mace, everyone will know what you're talking okay. about. Um, it's like Kleenex and tissues. Like mm-hmm. they're the same thing, but Band-Aids. Kleenex is the brand. Band aid, yeah. Band aid, yeah. Yeah. What's the generic term for band aid? Adhesive bandage. Yeah. yeah. Or um, I always remember from Invader Zim adhesive medical strips. <laughs> so I have a question. We're running low on time, so hopefully this won't take too long. Uh, I was wondering, since I am again the more concerned about the uh, citywide breakdown of services kind of thing. If I were to uh, band together with the fellow people in my community here, because I like the place where I live and the people here are cool, and we like are trying to set up some kind of perimeter defense thing, what sort of weapon should I have in my basement that I can haul out and put together and use for that? Because I'm assuming a shotgun will not work nearly as well for that sort of thing. So, Like the smokers are coming and we need to hold them off. <laughs> Claymores. <laughs> uh, shotgun's not a bad pick for that if you were... Like, if you were asking me, what do I give a squad of my neighbor, what weapons, plural, do I give to a squad of my neighbors who are going to be manning the checkpoint at the entrance to this gated community, then (laughs) I would say most people should have shotguns and someone who knows how to use it should probably have a, uh, I'm not sure, or what a good 
There's some balconies around here, turn. so like you could get. I a would get some turret. kind of rifle in like Kalashnikov pattern or AR-15 pattern or a Ruger Mini 14, something in that general class, firing something like a modern military round. I've uh, heard that the AR-15 is really easy to maintain and has a very common caliber. Is that uh, the five? Yeah, the ammunition it uses is very widely available. It's more expensive than it probably should be, but. What can you do? Yeah, it's um, the performance is excellent. Anybody wanting to fire it should be cautioned that it is unholy damn loud. It's very high pressure and very high velocity. And the where a shotgun will have will sort of bellow, uh, an AR-15 will scream. Yeah, you need to wear ear protection. It's a it's a an earplugs and earmuffs gun. That's the other thing that the movies all get wrong. Guns oh, are yeah. fucking loud. Way louder than you think they are. So loud that you're wearing headphones or, you know, the noise-canceling things and the earplugs, and you're still like... Yeah. You feel it. You Especially big guns, you feel it compulsively through your whole body. Silencers, not, generally, don't make a sound. It's silent. like a loud cough. Yeah. yeah they, they take... I think the best... Like, silencers typically take 30 decibels off a gunshot, maybe a bit more. But that's the difference between the sound of... Almost the sound of a space shuttle taking off... And something else loud, maybe really loud, maybe a bit further away. Yeah. Like if it's, someone in the other room shoots a silenced gun, you're still going to hear it and you're going to investigate. Yes. there, There's absolutely no way that you're going to miss a silenced gunshot unless someone has spent enough money that they almost deserve to succeed. Okay. So, um, AR-15 was it in John Wick gener- where they're where they're walking through like a train station or something, shooting at each other? One's up on a railing and one's in like a crowd. Oh, every and, movie I've ever seen with silencers, it's like, you know... But they're just walking, kind of taking yeah. quiet shots at yeah. each other, trying not to expose themselves. And it's like, yeah, this this, w- this would be like a thunderclap near everybody. No one's missing this noise. And, and when you missed, the ricochet would make also make an extremely obvious noise that, even if you didn't know what it was, would send you running. Another thing movies get wrong, ricochet. Uh, the movie Atomic Blonde is really good, though. Like, in terms of, they did a good job showing what fighting, like, actually looks like. Like, I heard people it was a get, great movie. It's a great movie. You it's would love Joan it. It's Joan Wick. It's tight. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I remember you like Birds of Prey just because you yes. like the, like, fun violence thing. This is a, like, pretty good fun violence thing, but also it's just, like, there's a bit off topic, but, like, you know, in the Marvel movies or whatever, um, they'll have somebody my size, like, petite. Uh, fighting some big guy mm-hmm. and using like moves that make no sense for their body type. Oh, this like is not direct that. punches to the this chest is, or whatever. Yeah, like th- this is a character who's using a lot of judo and aikido cool. sort of moves, uh, using a lot of improvised weapons. Everybody gets beat up realistically. Like it's not like you get in a fight and then like everybody's hair is perfect in the next scene and like the the wounds are gone. This is like character has a black eye and like sounds fantastic. Yeah, and uh, ricochet co- come like happens. Uh, I don't know. Uh, people get tired this is great there was a scene where i found this like just amazing there's a scene where she's fighting with this dude in an apartment and like the fight keeps going on and at the end they're dragging themselves across the floor swinging at each other missing falling in a heap and continuing to drag themselves back up and (laughs) just fall over from exhaustion yeah you've got to be in some pretty amazing shape to keep up like that level of aerobic fighting for over a minute yeah yeah um the, so, the worst offender in the unrealistic movie hits department. I can't remember what movie it is, but seeing someone land a clenched fist punch to the forehead—that <laughs> hand is not oh! going to be useful for anything ever for anything for a month, mm-hmm. if you're lucky. And this part, like 
Well, first, the other person goes down, which is somewhat believable because you could probably throw enough, put enough force behind a punch to concuss someone with a hit like that. But that hand is not going to be useful for anything else for the rest of that fight. So don't yeah. do it. I wouldn't even punch. I mean, uh, the open palm strike to the face, especially since I'm sure it coming from below can jab you in the jaw really good. Or you can use elbows. I have pretty plenty elbows. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you, you want to hit hard parts with soft parts and hard and soft parts with hard parts if you're tr- not actively trying to hurt yourself. No. So, um, uh, real quick, the AR-15, like, how much would that cost? How much training? Uh, is this, like, a really big commitment for someone who's dedicated to this thing? It's decidedly more of a commitment than a shotgun, but less than a handgun. Okay. Um, I don't know what prices are like now because I haven't been shopping for them, but when I purchased one... Uh, early 2019 uh due to a well due to the obama years kind of glutting the market pretty badly <laughs> i think that the air 15 that i purchased in early 2019 was 450 dollars new and shipped wow okay that's plus, not bad plus 30 dollars to the gun shop for running the background check okay what about like uh pawn shops uh you can or like gun shows because there's a bunch of those here <laughs> the laws on exactly what you can do there and the recommendations on what you should are going to vary a lot by state um i don't know if colorado is one of the private sale background check states mm, so I... like in in uh virginia for example there isn't a requirement for a background check if the sale is from a private citizen to another private citizen if you aren't actively in the business of dealing guns like there, there's not a bright line, but if you're selling one every three months that you have owned for years, no one's ever going to look askance at it. Yeah. Um, in California, those sales are prohibited and everything has to go through a licensed dealer. I imagine that you could get a better deal that way, but then also you might want to worry about the quality. Um, and I wonder if it's even worth it. Uh, it depends on the gun. If it's something made in the last 30 years and if, you, if you've if you learned how, to, for example, to field strip the thing in question, most modern pistols disassemble in vaguely similar ways so you can get an idea of that. And you, you generally won't be able to at the gun show, but you'll at least be able to look at some of the innards. Yeah. If you can't see any obvious problems and it's less than 30 years old, you're probably in pretty good shape. Um, if the, There definitely is the warranty issue when you... Uh, buy things that are used in that fashion. You can get around that either by going to a gun shop and getting things that either they've bought from owners or are selling on consignment, in which case they'll have been inspected by, mm-hmm. uh, usually have been inspected by a gunsmith prior to being offered for sale, or by just buying new. Uh, some manufacturers will offer uh, excellent warranties as well. Um, most of them are only to original purchaser, but there are some that go the extra mile. I would name them off the top of my head if I knew any. There's another age-related question. So Inyash buys his AR-15 and or shotgun, the numbers will be different, and buries it in his basement. And in 15 years, shit hits the wind. Is this ammo still good? If it's been kept... I mean, we're in Colorado, so there's no humidity to uh, damage it. The, the main thing I think that's going to have... Uh, ammo go bad over time is the primers getting moist so keep your ammo dry and store with desiccant and it'll probably be good for longer than you remember where you put it okay i guess 
since we're almost done here, I have a final sanity te- ch- uh, check type of question. Okay. So I, you know, assuming I'm preparing for a widespread breakdown that's going to last for a few weeks, uh, and I go out every, let's say, I'm not rigorous about it, I don't go every month, but like every quarter or so, I go, I rent a gun that's similar to what I have buried, I practice with it, I make sure I know how to field strip it and stuff. Uh, 12 years from now, shit does hit the fan, I need to defend myself for a couple weeks is having this at my disposal actually anything that will make me safer, significantly safer, or am I like fooling myself that this is going to be any good? If you've been practicing, even with that wide an interval, if you've kept it up regularly for 12 years, I'd say that you're noticeably better off, the, and you've probably had a lot of fun and gotten some good exercise in the meantime. Um, if like me, you've not gotten outside enough during COVID-19, it will make sure that you're getting the vitamin D you need. So what you're saying is it, you're at least not going to be worse off. You won't, yeah. If, if you've done it regularly for 12 years and you know the mechanics and you've got the muscle memory, you will not, you may not be better off, but there is no case that I can see in which that will be worse. And hopefully I'll never have to pull that trigger on anyone. That is what you hope. But it's... The, uh... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think that being familiar with it, particularly like not not relevant to any Osh's uh, mission requirements, I guess. But since Jace brought up hunting, I think that using them will give you a better appreciation of trying to resolve situations like that without the use of force, because you will understand exactly what the best alternative to negotiated agreement in that situation is. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, not not understanding the weapon makes you more dangerous to everybody including yourself yeah okay yeah. this is why i think everyone even if you don't plan on like owning guns ever should have a familiarity with them like it's again worst case scenario you have fun. well i guess worst case scenario you're you're spooked and you hate it and you had a terrible time but if you find an enjoyment out of it then you get this cool experience and oh yeah that was fun i got to shoot guns and enjoy some time outside or whatever um but it's like, I don't know, uh, if, if you have any concern that you might ever be around in an emergency situation, like then at least you know what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. Is it your opinion that most people should have some kind of training and some gun squirreled away somewhere? Wait, I had an, I had an analogy for my thing, sorry. It's like, I know how to drive a stick shift. Mm-hmm. I don't because it's tedious. Mm-hmm. But I know how to, should I ever be required to, right? Yeah, I think it's good to just learn as many skills as you can if you have the opportunity got a quick like thing to say while we are wrapping up that i don't endorse the lifestyle of the person i was talking about earlier who like i need a gun around all the time Mm -hmm. and again especially because they don't live in circumstances that would remotely require that i mean if you're living on the wrong side of the law or something and you've got enemies then sure i get it but in in the person in the average person i'm thinking of and probably our average listener needing immediate access all the time to a gun in your own home is probably overkill it's not an uncommon response to violent trauma in your past though it's not the case with this person oh okay. but that, that what i yeah i mean i i get it like mm-hmm. i used to uh, when i was in college i delivered pizzas and i delivered to somebody who lived out in the edge of town it was already weird had to go through like a dirt driveway to go to his house and he answers the door with a gun on his hip <laughs> and i was like expecting company mm-hmm. and he's like no i just always have this and i was like oh all right well cool here's the price and um it's like i i get one thing of like always wanting to be ready and be prepared and if you've never shot a gun it is like having a magic wand mm-hmm. like you you you're 
a magic death wand. It, it, it is a magic death wand. It's it's like it's one that only shoots reducto basically. But like explaining this <laughs> to your you ancestors, it'd be like, oh yeah, you know how like you try and throw rocks and hurt those people over there. With with two hours of practice, I can show you how to put holes in them mm-hmm. that'll kill them immediately. Like it sounds like magic, mm-hmm. and they feel really powerful. I think there's just definitely like a very much of like a. I can't think of any word for it that's better than big dick energy around it. <laughs> um, but but that sounds mildly pejorative, but it's not. I say like more life affirming, security, not life affirming, but like you feel safer with it. Sa- yeah, yeah, you feel safer because at any point you could you could just you're. Uh, I think it's a, a scary feeling though because it's not necessarily accurate. You can be less safe with a gun on your person at all times. Yeah, it might make so, you more. Yeah, if it if it's. If you aren't putting a lot of discipline into the the habits that would require that, then a pistol in particular could certainly make you less safe in that sense. Um, as far as the big dick energy, I will respond to that with a quote from uh, another Heinlein novel, which also adorns TV tropes as page on phallic weapons. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, she's absolutely right, he said, patting the enormous pistol on his hip. This gun absolutely is a penis substitute. If I could kill at a range of 30 meters with only my penis, I wouldn't need to lug this around, would I? <laughs> it's very high line. Yeah. But that is actually not the quote I was looking for. So, okay. So I, I want to... I hope that I've done a good enough job of making this clear with the discussion of actually using force. I don't think it's a good idea. One of the reasons that I think that people should be familiar with the care and feeding of weapons is that is for an appreciation of how much more desirable nonviolent solutions are. And I, I think that people who have never fired a weapon are just fundamentally less capable, less attuned to that reality. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like there to be a world with less, with fewer circumstances that suggest the use of firearms, but we don't live in such a nice ordered world. So I'll, uh, I'll quote since I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't plug myself at least a little bit uh, with a quote from Accession, the book that my podcast is current, the culture book that my podcast is currently covering. Uh, It was a warship, after all. It was built, designed to glory and destruction when it was considered appropriate. It found, as it was rightly and properly supposed to, an awful beauty in both the weaponry of war and the violence and devastation which that weaponry was capable of inflicting, and yet it knew that attractiveness stemmed from a kind of insecurity, a sort of childishness. It could see that, by some criteria, a warship, just by the perfectly articulated purity of its purpose, was the most beautiful single artifact the culture was capable of producing, and at the same time understand the paucity of moral vision such a judgment implied. Uh, to fully appreciate the beauty of a weapon was to admit to a kind of short-sightedness, close to blindness, to confess a sort of stupidity. Uh, skipping a couple of sentences, by this measure, the love or just the appreciation of weapons was a kind of tragedy. Nice. Excellent. I like that a lot. And I'm, I'm with you. Like, it would be really cool. I, I, I think I've, I'm, at, I'm drawing a meaning from that, even if it's not the one that was intended. Maybe it is the one that's intended. It would be awesome to live in a world where that sort of thing wasn't appreciated you see something and it's just this ghastly horror show you know like somebody has a torture implement or something and yet that's not the world we live in they for many people they make sense to have around and so like then it then it becomes like a not insane thing to have a visible collection like hey check this out isn't this cool yeah this one you know only made 1978 or whatever you know like or 
you know, whatever random stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, but, in, yeah. In I didn't beautiful... articulate that well. <laughs> Sorry. In the beautiful world that we could build, like, there, there would be a beauty in people in children not recognizing them and in adults not telling children about them because it's something they were likely to simply never encounter, like death in uh, after the Dementor attack in HPMOR. But that that isn't, as you say, that's not the world that we live in. Um, my favorite, like I think the coolest acknowledgement of this reality has to go to one of the tenets of Sikhism, uh, the wearing of, a, an, of an at least symbolic dagger called the Kirpan. Um, they have, I hasten to add, I am not familiar with the nuts and bolts of Sikhism. This is largely, this is stuff I've found from reading favorable articles about this tenet and what I could learn on Wikipedia about the religion. So if there are any actual Sikhs, I welcome correction. But the, or if there are any actual Sikhs listening, there are obviously actual <laughs> Sikhs. But uh, the the Kirpan is part of the ideal of being the, the saint soldier. You, we would like a world that's orderly and safe, but the world that we actually live in is at least some, in at least sometimes, in at least some places, chaotic and dangerous and unpleasant. And on some level, you should feel responsible at least to yourself for being able to deal with that world when it rears its ugly head. And the wearing of the dagger is symbolic of that. And I think it's a cool, awesomely mature attitude that more that people could benefit from learning more about. I do wonder what the world would look like if everyone was given a gun. And, you know, mandated practice that you use it, you know, within reason, uh, again, with the convicts and the violent, mentally ill, but like... You mean like a personal handgun or like a long arm like they do in Switzerland? Um, I don't know in particular, just the idea of if there was the equality of ability to do violence, what yeah. that would look like, because that's never been the case. Yeah. Um, what else? The learning curve, I think, would be pretty nasty in that world, and I think the equilibrium of everyone can exert lethal violence on the spot is a complicated and very ritualized system of etiquette that wouldn't be badly compared to samurai. I don't think it's terribly desirable. Um, but I wonder what, how it would affect uh, whether this would be a more or less violent society, like whether people would be less likely to attack people if you know that everybody's packing. It might just make them get creative. I mean, like, I mean, this, this is, we're, we're wrapping up, I don't want to open a, a can of worms, but like, if I'm if my goal is to hurt somebody and I know that they have a gun, well, I just will make sure I hurt them before they get to it, right? Even if it's on their person. But a lot of people's like, goal is just to hurt people because they like hurting people. They don't necessarily... They're not gunning for someone, right? Yeah. They just want to beat someone up. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so it might, it might cut down on like right. school bullying if someone's yeah. really passionate about that issue. Yeah. If every student had a gun. Rape. Uh, I'm pretty sure that if rape, 1% yeah. of random assaults on trans people led to the assailant getting non-fatally shot, they would dry up in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of, um... Oh, just, I don't know. I'm thinking about, like, the Black Panthers and arming themselves, scaring people into <laughs> yeah. wanting more gun safety stuff suddenly, more restrictions. Uh, I will add on that note before discussing some other notable colored panthers that uh, I'm generally 
I, well, no, not generally. I'm very much, and almost without exception, not a fan of openly carrying long guns. Hmm. Um, Why is that? It's intrinsically... Oh, there's a really strong tendency for it to be perceived as confrontational, no matter how polite you are. Crap. And they're... Just because of the size and because of the way that they're worn, um, you either put them on a sling, in which case it's very obvious that you have it, or you're carrying it at something like port arms and both of those just make the gun more obvious if you must carry something openly without the anticipation of trouble it should probably be a pistol but you i am not a huge fan of open carry for that and tactical reasons hmm. um, you, you lose a lot of defensive advantage if someone knows that you have a weapon before the confrontation started the other colored panthers i was going to bring up uh, in the vein of the random attacks on trans people were the lavender panthers a uh, gay vigilante group who operated in the San Francisco Bay Area and I want to say the early 70s. Oh, hadn't heard of these. Um, yeah, they would uh, drive around in a van, find people who had just attacked random gay people and work them over with bats and two-by-fours because the kind of person who's just randomly going to... And nobody ever tried, even tried to catch them because the kind of person <laughs> who's insecure or hateful enough to just attack random gay people is not going to go to the police and admit that he ended up on the ass end of an ass kicking at the hands of the lavender panthers oh uh, yeah huh. there was something similar in india where they had a gang of women that would find uh, male rapists and beat them up i think with sticks <laughs> i forget what they called them but uh maybe i could find it and put it in the notes i have one last random thought which was a uh, when we we're talking about ideal worlds Ideal world, I think, would be everybody could keep a backup of their brain. So if there ever was a confrontation, you know, whether you have to lethally shoot someone for self-protection or you get shot, then you can just be... It's not quite so permanent. Like, built a new body and have your upload stuck back in there. And (laughs) It has a whole range of other uses. If the building a new body is fast enough, you can effectively use it as teleportation. That's true. All right, we are over time, so we should wrap up. Yeah. Uh, we are thanking a patron, as we always do, because we're never over time for doing that. Whose turn is it to thank? Did anyone recall? Jace's, uh, probably. Oh, yeah. Because you, you missed a couple episodes. Yeah, I did. Um, although, I kind of wanted to do the next one. Oh, and I was okay. wondering if did, Greg, do you want to thank a patron? Um, sure. Have you gotten the it joy is. of thanking That's a patron? Second one from the bottom. I guess I've been here long enough to almost become an institution. So, <laughs> today's patron to be thanked is Tom Beal. Tom, thank you for letting us bring this to everyone. Uh, help, I don't know, I, I hope you don't mind the gun topic, but uh, <laughs> help everyone maybe be a little bit safer in case of a terrible breakdown and make an interesting episode if not. And it's less about this episode as it is about the institution of the episodes. Exactly. You know, if, if this is producing value that in, in aggregate uh, you enjoy, that's uh, we appreciate hearing that, and that's yeah. awesome. I was so happy to hear on the last episode... Um, Bayes' theorem talking about how much impact the podcast it had on him. Obviously, it's had an impact on me. I mean, and I've heard that from a lot of other people, too. So, Tom, you're, like, supporting this whole this whole thing that a lot of people are getting value out of. Yeah. And that's great. Every now and then you get a little burnt out and you're like, oh, why am I still doing this? It doesn't matter. And then you hear from, you know, Alex, Bayes' theorem, something like that. And you're like, oh, I'm doing a good thing for some people. Yeah. I'm going to keep doing this. It's nice and effusive. The last time I remember you uh, waxing emotional about it to that extent was uh, someone who'd emailed in and said, yeah, I've been listening to this since I was nine. Mm. And 
Oh, yeah, and then we were like, oh, no, but we use the F word a lot. (laughs) (laughs) No, but that also means, like, you've probably had more influence on their lives than a couple of musicians and a lot of cartoons. Yeah, Yeah. possibly. I I remember a period where the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe uh, podcasters felt like friends to me, where I would listen to them every day because I had a 45-minute commute to and from college for five years and then, like, three years about the same to work, and I talked... I didn't talk to them, but I heard their voices like more often than like it, most other people in my life. I was so stoked when I got Jay to do a voice for HBMOR. <sighs> That's awesome. Yeah. I, I did actually reflect not too long ago that with the possible exception of Cecil Baldwin from Welcome to Night Vale, I've probably heard, listened to Anyasha's voice for more time than I've heard any other human being speak because <laughs> hundreds of episodes of the HPMOR podcast over years yeah. and then, you know, an extra 90 minutes per episode of this, um, yeah, if if not in first place, definitely top five. Damn. Yeah. I'm flattered. I'm, I'm wow. Okay. You you can't see it, but I'm doing a double thumbs up. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining us. Tell us once again what your other podcast is that you work on. Uh, we uncultured swine are just uncultured swine now. Uh, there we have a Discord server which is linked on the Bayesian Conspiracy server. And we will also link it in the show notes. And where can people find this podcast? Do they just Google that? Uh, they can find it. I think we've only got it on iTunes right now. Uh, yeah, it's up there as Uncultured Swine. And we're currently on our fourth book. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us. And we will see you all again in two weeks. Good night, friends. Good night.